0: Like if you like nowadays if you Google him, like 50 percent of what comes up is pretty so, much all of these, you know, talk, you yeah, that that talking like,
1: about Winston's know legacy, like Ooh, you know, so in, so in one
0: funny. blow How they like they, they dismiss Henry Winston and you know, dismiss dismiss Winston and the world peace movement, world peace movement did the u.s
2: peace council come out of that? well i think we're gonna get started it's (laughs) 10 (laughs) 33. um good morning everyone um i guess we should start by saying um how happy we are that we have some visitors in the room this Saturday Um, maybe maybe you guys can first introduce yourself
3: you go first <laughs> uh yeah i'm
4: daniel Gutierrez. it's my second time at the preschool i i i met i met a lot of the uh, folks in this room at the henry winston symposium a few weeks back and it was just such a great experience um so it's it's really great to be among uh you know a vibrant intellectual group of people fighting on the side of humanity
5: so mm-hmm. that's it
1: yeah, yeah.
5: okay
3: My name is uh, Danny Shaw. I'm from uh, Brockton, Massachusetts, the Cape Verdean epicenter, really outside of Lisboa, the colonial metropolis. You know, I grew up with all Cape Verdeans, um, ended up coming to New York City in 96. I've been an anti-imperialist since I first went to Cuba in 94. I've been an international affairs analyst with uh, Telesur and RT and all different anti-imperialist networks throughout the world. So this moment in Palestine, just at a spiritual and moral level, who are we as a humanity? So it's beautiful to, mm-hmm. to be here. Mm-hmm. And, and this man right here, this is, the, this is the comrade, this is the big brother, so much respect to him. Down y'all in We're going on
1: everybody. my is Amiri Banks.
5: Um, i lived in Philly for about a year, and was an honored to meet um, Tony and a couple of other preschool folks back there. Been following ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and, now I'm back in Atlanta, where I grew up. So mm-hmm. I'm just continuing to try to show love and stay with the revolution to the end. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, I think we're going to first start. Doc's going to start with um, a discussion around the Society Free School on the cusp of the year of James Baldwin, mm-hmm. um, in particular in the middle of a deepening political crisis in the United States. Um, and then we'll, after that discussion, we'll talk about this article or opinion piece that Robert Kagan and Washington Post wrote. Um, and then with time, we'll also read, we'll read some poems in dedication to um, the professor and poet who recently was assassinated by mm-hmm. Israel.
6: So I think, are we going to participate in Susan mm-hmm. Albuquerque's? Live stream tribute to him. Yeah. Yes, that's at the Free School at 2 o'clock. Okay, well, uh, good morning everybody. It's uh, good to be here. And, um, you know, I wanna first start with what is uh, apparent to the world that for the first time, in America's history, it is facing a crisis the magnitude of which is so profound that it looks almost existential for the ruling class of this country. And the ruling class is acting as though it were so, even if most people on the left do not understand it, Mm -hmm. and we will return to this concept of the left, which is uh, a self-definition by those who claim a certain, quote, politics, but a self-definition that has no relationship to the objective world and to the movement of humanity. But this is a, uh, a really uh, unprecedented crisis there, and it is, I would say, irreversible. Uh, We are now in uncharted territory. Uh, We are on the cusp of a, in the nation, a profound political realignment Uh, And uh, Jeremiah will uh, help us work through a very important, at least I think very important essay that appeared in the Washington Post last Sunday uh, by one of the most important ideologues of the ruling class, Robert Kagan. And probably we'll talk a little bit about essays recently by Ed Luce in the Financial Times and this whole edition of The Atlantic dedicated to what they are calling the onset of a dictatorship Mm -hmm. in the United States. Mm -hmm. The ruling class has pretty much conceded Mm -hmm. that Trump will be the next president. as we know in the free school, we don't see that as the worst of all possible. Worlds. In fact, for us, the reelection of Biden would mm-hmm. be the worst event uh, because it would continue the trajectory mm-hmm. towards world war. Mm-hmm. But uh, that having been said, all eyes in the world are upon Gaza and the Palestinian people. Mm -hmm. And there's no human being with an ounce of moral integrity who's not at the same time, and cannot be at the same time, a Nazi who does not feel the suffering of the Gazan people, especially the children. The infant Shaheed, uh, these martyrs for humanity. Mm-hmm. The bad news is the suffering. The good news is that the Israelis are being defeated on the ground in Gaza. Uh, the tactics of asymmetric warfare, dating back, of course, to the Chinese Revolution and Mao's concept of People's War Mm -hmm. further implemented in Korea uh, by the forces Mm -hmm. led by Kim Mm -hmm. Il-sung. And then, of course, probably the best known of these uh, forms of warfare the Vietnamese people Mm -hmm. uh, who defeated the most powerful military on the planet at that time.
1: Mm
6: -hmm. uh, And they did defeat them. The United States did not just withdraw, they were defeated and were, were, uh, it was an ignominious defeat, I'll put it that way. Uh, The world, and we might say, perhaps we can say that the world after October 7th suddenly became a different world,
1: politically.
6: Um, Quickly, what we saw only in embryo was crystallized. That is to say, these new alliances, uh, what we in the free school called the Afro-Asiatic reconstitution of humanity. Um the you know, it, it kind of first uh, became apparent in this in this year with the Iran Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. uh, rapprochement. And then of course, um, which was brokered, by the way, by China,
1: mm-hmm.
6: which had never been a player in Western Asia. I don't think ever in its long Mm -hmm. 5,000 year history, it was, uh, it always looked upon itself as the middle kingdom. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, it was never imperialist because it said the world would come to it. It did not need to Mm -hmm. capture Mm -hmm. the world. And that knowledge and science, and I guess the printing press and the, uh, the, Uh, other things where China felt itself to be the middle kingdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, But suddenly China is a major player in Western Asia called by the British, the Middle East. And it brokered this historic deal. But then that deal becomes the center of something even deeper because both Iran and Saudi Arabia applied for and are now members of the BRICS nations. And I think both are applying for membership. I think Iran might already be a member. I think Saudi Arabia is applying for membership in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Uh, I believe that both nations are part of China's Belt and Road Initiative, mm-hmm. uh, which links the world, not through uh, necessarily maritime, but through land, rails, and roads, and infrastructure,
1: mm-hmm.
6: a new Silk Road. Mm-hmm. In the modern period, the meaning of this tries is attempted to be Trivialized by Western politicians and think tanks while at the same time quivering in their boots, recognizing what all of this means a new world economy centered upon China and Asia, not upon the United States and Europe. But then this thing of Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm just this week traveling yeah. to the uh the UAE the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia and being received in the most spectacular manner where neither Biden nor Kamala Harris or Lincoln mm-hmm. or any of them would be welcomed but this is so important because it's You know, as I always thought to look at Russia as anything but an Asian nation Mm -hmm. would be to under, would be to misconceive it. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: It is an Asian nation, all you have to do is go there. You know, when I was there, when it was the Soviet Union, Mm -hmm. it is more Asian than European. They say a Eurasian nation, Mm -hmm. but it's Asian. Uh, in fact, the Russian language is a combination mm-hmm. of Asian and um, uh, not European so much as Eastern European languages. That's what we mean when mm-hmm. talk about the Slavic language groups. But Russia as an Asian nation, bound strategically to China, the major Asian economic and military power. But then bound to Iran and North Korea. Well, I mean, like they say, it's a beautiful thing. Or as they say in Philadelphia, it's a beautiful thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's a beautiful thing to to observe this transition. But then the um, alliance Of Arab nations, but then augmented by the Organization of Islamic Cooperation, Mm -hmm. which met jointly, condemning the United States and Israel. And then, of course, I I guess I went too far, but uh, Israel is losing on the ground in Gaza. Mm -hmm. It will lose if the war is widened. It cannot defeat Hezbollah and it will not defeat Iran. And once Turkey is brought into it, you're looking at a combination of political and military forces perhaps never assembled in the Asiatic world. This is a phenomenal moment of realignment. Mm -hmm. Uh, People talk about a two-state solution. Uh, Yes, a two-state solution conditioned upon Mm, three things. One, a two-state solution based upon the borders that existed before the so-called Six-Day War in 1967. That is an uncompromisable position. Mm -hmm. The second thing is the demilitarization of Israel Mm -hmm. and the denazification of Israel. Mm -hmm. And I think we cannot say anything other than that the Israeli regime is a Nazi regime that it is carrying out genocide targeting civilians in gaza and targeting especially children and women only nazis do this and again as you know we've said here in the free school nazism is not genetically ethnically or religiously coded so in other words You can be a Jew, a Zionist whose family was victimized in the Jewish Holocaust by the Nazis and yourself become a Nazi. They are not immune to it. And we see it in full uh, manifestation. And any Jew that at this late date wants to apologize for this has to be called out and is being called out mm-hmm. by Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you all something. I guess I said it before. <laughs> you know, I had, you know, given up on American Jews,
1: mm-hmm.
6: on white Jews. I'd given up on them, even though being in the Communist Party, I was mentored by Jewish revolutionaries. I, I've told the story before, You know, here in Philadelphia every year under the leadership of two, I think Ukrainian Jews, Dave and Sarah Milcom, very short <laughs> and very uh, uh, steeled revolutionaries. Mm-hmm. Every year here in Philly, we would celebrate the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising in 1944. My education in the history of Jewish people came from Jewish communists. However, the Jewish people were captured by a Zionist, oligarchic, pro-imperialist leadership. Ruthless, I had no idea of how ruthless they were towards their own people. Mm -hmm. This leadership, who by the way, stand out in the fact that they abandoned the Rosenbergs, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, who were executed on some trumped up charges of having given nuclear secrets to the Soviet Union they were electrocuted on the same day in 1953. And it was only the left of the Jewish people and the left in general that stood up for them. What became the leadership, quote unquote, of the Jewish American people, turned their backs, went the other way and said that the communist, the leftist in the Jewish community was the past. The future was with American imperialism. And so it was shocking to me. And so I gave up on them. I gave up on American Jews outside of certain people that I knew and I could trust. I didn't want anything to do with. I said, you you all have sold out. Mm -hmm you are backstabbers, you're morally corrupt, and Zionist. The other thing is I took personally, I even take it to this state personally, their targeted attacks upon the Black struggle. Mm.
1: Yeah.
6: That is part of the filthy history of Zionism. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, we see part of their ruthlessness in their attacks, and their cowardice, by the way, upon the students at elite universities who are demonstrating. Mm -hmm. To call these students anti-Semites is, first of all, to smear legitimate protests and speech, to turn legitimate concerns, moral, deeply moral concerns of young people into evil uh, by older, richer, powerful people is the act of cowards and so on. You know, by the way, you know, I I looked at some of the um, congressional hearing Mm -hmm. on um, on anti-Semitism at elite universities, like um, Harvard, MIT, uh, University of Pennsylvania, and of course, we'll talk about um, Cornell, at elite universities. And to say these students don't know what they're talking about, these students uh, have been lured by their professors to espouse anti-Semitism, but then, no sooner than they get those words out of their mouths, here come Jewish voices for peace, saying, we are Jews, and you are Zionists. And we, in the name of the Jewish religion, can and, and the politics of humanity, separate ourselves from the American Jewish Congress, the ADL, and interestingly, a lot of people don't know this, uh, the Southern Poverty Law Firm, Law, what is Law Center, which <laughs> is not about poverty or the South or any of that. It's a Zionist front. Mm-hmm. You know? And now they are exposed. And, and the other thing, which is I'm talking a little too much, The interesting thing is the Hasidic Jews. I don't know if many people are familiar with them. Um, You know, they look different and they are different. They are a sect within Judaism that emerges in Eastern Europe, Ukraine and Poland, maybe 200 years ago. Uh, and they are Jews of the Torah. Mm
7: -hmm,
6: They are religious Jews and not Zionists. Zionism is not a religious movement. And so for the Zionists to claim that Israel is a Jewish state, Mm -hmm. in other words, a state guided by the Torah Mm -hmm. is an insult Mm -hmm. to the religion of Judaism. Mm And that's the way the Hasidim are taking it. And they have come forward, shouting in demonstrations, the slogan, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I mean, really, and they they fit in Brooklyn. Uh, I mean, they fit, and they're highly organized and disciplined. And so on. And they're in the forefront of the struggle mm-hmm. along with Jewish Voices for Peace, mm-hmm. not in my name. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just overwhelmed. Sometimes I'm to tears to see this because I grieve what the Jewish people had become. Mm-hmm. And now they are reclaiming what they should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to reclaim that means what we're gonna talk about, their return to Martin Luther King and the Black Freedom Movement. Mm-hmm. There is no reclaiming of American jewelry without Martin Luther King and the Black Freedom Movement. Of course, we could throw in there, James Baldwin, the whole Black mm-hmm. tradition. Politically and spiritually, right now, they're not strong enough. Too much has been lost over the last 60 years. You know, like Martin Luther King said, silence is betrayal. Mm -hmm. And what it does is leaves a deep wound. So all the Jews who were silent over all this time are so Wounded, that to heal as a people, first step, oppose the Zionist regime. But then to go forward, they have to return to the only consistently American hope, and that is the Black Freedom Movement. I'll come back to that. But with young Jews abandoning Biden, Mm -hmm. and with uh, African Americans, um, you know, you take a city like Philadelphia, 40% of Black people identify themselves as Muslim.
1: Mm
0: Now,
6: whether or not everybody understands everything, or whether or not you know, like they say, I'm a I'm a five percent Muslim, or I'm a nation of Islam Muslim, or I'm a you know a, a Sunni of this tradition out of Pakistan. I mean, we got them all here in Philadelphia. You know, and it's a very interesting thing, which at the same time is a judgment upon the failure of the Christian Church the black christian church because you know black folks seek that spiritual grounding mm-hmm. you know religion and i'll get to that in a minute plays a huge role mm-hmm. you anti you anti-Christian it's hard to be pro-black mm-hmm. you know you might say you are but black people ain't gonna trust you <laughs> because you respect you're disrespecting the earth narrative mm-hmm. the fundamental narrative of black people I don't care whether it's King or Baldwin, or for that matter, Du Bois. You know, they all understand this. We'll come back to that in a minute. Mm -hmm. This movement of young people and Black people, out of the Democratic Party, and it's not just about Biden, and Biden can tell Black people, uh, all day long how much his administration has done for us. Look at the infrastructure. Y'all are working more than you ever worked before. Unemployment is lower and we are doing all this for y'all. And black people said, it's too little to lay dog. We don't trust
8: you yeah.
6: Uh, And so, I think in a a conservative estimate, 30% of Black men will not vote for Biden. How many of them will vote for Trump? How many will vote? for RFK, how many will not vote? Mm -hmm. However you look at it, 30% of them will not vote for Biden, which is a vote against war and austerity, against the ruling elite and like. And here's what we have to understand and and be able to do what they call real politics. Real politics, ain't no bullshit politics. The real deal. Mm-hmm. Trump is, whether he wants it completely or not, the vessel of opposition
1: mm-hmm.
6: of tens of millions, if not a hundred million Americans who see him and will push him to a further confrontation with the ruling elite of this country. Hence the 2024 election is a referendum on whether or not the ruling class can rule and whether or not the people are prepared to accept their birth. Graham, she said the old is dying and the new cannot yet be born. Well, I think we can say today the old is dying and the new is being born. And so I guess, you know, I'm gonna talk about the free school. I was just saying to Emily and Serafina, that I cannot think of the Free School without thinking of King. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's any organization or institution in this country, maybe in this world, that is so shaped by Martin Luther King as is the Free School. Um, And until this becomes a more generalized movement, Mm -hmm. the recapture, the regrounding of our movement in King and the Third American Revolution. It will be difficult to go forward. I want to explain that further, uh, but only to say That no less a revolutionary than Henry Winston and the book Strategy for a Black Agenda was a defense of the Black freedom movement. Mm-hmm. And Martin Luther King,
9: yeah.
6: he saw what few others saw, and it created, I have to tell you i think you guys might find this interesting it created a tension within the communist party mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it really did there were those who said i said this many times here who said well why didn't he name his book strategy for a class agenda you know what i'm saying mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: that would have been easy because she wouldn't have said anything new or different
10: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
6: you would not have spoken to the American situation. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Um, you may have been speaking to something that looked kind of like America, but had missed the essential quality of the American revolutionary trajectory. Mm-hmm. You see? Um, I, let me just say something about that. Have, having kind of lived through some of this, and then having reflected, not, not understanding at all at the time, you know what I'm saying? I'm around these, these uh, uh, experienced and committed revolutionaries, many of whom had done serious time in the penitentiary. Of course, Winston had lost his sight, and, and then he continued on, continued to fight, etc. cetera. So I'm, you know, uh, I'm young boy, I'm, you know, and I was always raised to be polite and respect my elders. So I'm not gonna stand up or you don't know what you're talking about. I accepted, uh, not only because they were my elders, but because they showed to me what I had never seen, what a revolutionary that had a long-term vision looked like.
1: Yeah.
6: And how you stand in the long game. I saw it. Went to prison, came out of prison. Ain't nothing changed. I lost my sight and I still got my vision.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's fight. Mm-hmm.
6: Let's keep it on. But the tension was over whether the struggle was, quote, race, which was not the way Winston and articulated or whether it was for class. Mm-hmm. Another way to put it, because there is a default position even up to this day within the left, especially whites in the left, that class is another way of talking about white.
2: Mm-hmm.
6: You said, oh, I believe in the class struggle. That's another way of, of a person saying, Uh, or the majority of the working class is white. So the class struggle is a white thing, more or less. That's the default position. It's inescapable, but the center of gravity of the American movement of class and national liberation, the center of gravity has always been the black freedom movement. That's what Du Bois discovers mm-hmm. in Black Reconstruction. It articulates the class struggle under American conditions. It is not Karl Marx studying the factory system in England
9: mm-hmm.
6: or the class struggle in France or the peasant movement in Germany. All good. but. It's a form of what is called misplaced concreteness to take that and try to superimpose it on this. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so to recenter the revolutionary project in the United States meant the leap, the imaginative leap carried out by Henry Winston and a cadre of black communists. Mm -hmm. Among them, of course, the great Paul Mm Robeson, the great W.E.B. Du Bois, Louise Thompson Patterson. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? To re-anchor the movement of this country. But then its re-anchorage had to look at the current conditions in that time that Winston became the chairman of the party in the nation and how the American people were being transformed. That's what we mean by the long game. If it's just a matter of, well, You know, and and, and I'm down with the UAW. I hope y'all won what what the leaders of UAW say you won. I'm a little skeptical, but we'll see. I'm down with UPS. Y'all, hey, still got the two-tier wage system, which is a threat to all of the uh, workers. But I hope you won what you say you won. But even if you got everything that you wanted, it is still not sufficient. So, as many social democrats and recent um, discoverers of the working class, by which they mean the white worker, you know, with some black people on the sideline to go along with us, you know. Mm -hmm. Even if all of that is one, it is not enough. We will remain in the narrow tunnel of, how would you say, it, class reductionism, rhythmism, a working class without a vision, without a leadership. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Winston understood King. Most leftists, many communists, did not understand King. You'll often hear people say, Well, we have to understand the radical King as opposed to the reformist King. Well, most people that make that claim have never read King. They dismissed him and trivialized him out the gate. I don't think there's ever been, well, let me put it this way. (laughs) Uh, To trivialize King in the United States is like Italian revolutionaries trivializing Gramsci. Mm -hmm. To trivialize Gramsci is to take the card and soul out of the Italian revolutionary movement. Mm -hmm. to trivialize King as a reformist and an anti-revolutionary and an assimilationist as the Afrocentrists have done I want to talk about is to make of him what you want him to be now I want to let me just talk a little bit because there are these two sides, the uh, quote unquote class struggle camp, which, you know, they, have to take, it's almost a joke to be around some of these people. You know, we are upholding the class struggle. Really? I don't think so, money. I really don't think so. You upholding what you believe in. There is no objective criteria for that belief. There's nothing objective, it's subjective. This is the, why is it the class struggle? Because I'm in DSA or I'm in PSL or I'm a Trotskyite, you know, or I'm something like that, you know? And I've read Karl Marx and I, you know, I went to college and therefore I am, you know, uh, able to make that judgment. But you don't understand what the class struggle is. It is not the trade union struggle. It is not an economic thing primarily. And so Winston understood Martin Luther King and that the Southern Freedom Movement propelled the working class forward, Mm -hmm. and was the most important movement since the organization of the unorganized in the 1930s, and it went beyond that, by the way, of breaking down the barriers of discrimination against black and non-white workers in the working class. You know, an example is in the 1970s, when black workers took the, the US steel, uh, United States steel, the largest steel producer in the country at the time, and United States steel workers to court for discrimination against black workers. And it was true. The companies did it intentionally and openly, the union went along with it where black workers were disproportionately in the hardest, heaviest, dirtiest, most dangerous jobs in the steel industry and could not move up the ladder. But that comes on the heels of the civil rights movement. And it was a fight to unite the working class across the color line, but even if that Were all that it did. There was the other thing that there had never been such a period of organizing workers in the South as in the period of the Southern Freedom Movement. Not spoken of by all of the many of the historians of the labor movement in the United States, except. Philip Foner, Philip Foner. But it is like it never happened. More Southern workers, black and white were organized during the period of the Black Freedom Movement than any time previous to that. So here we're beginning to understand what the grounding an anchorage of the class struggle is. It is not what you think it is. It is this movement that said, in freeing working people, we will remake the nation. Mm -hmm. And this is the great Martin Luther King. Mm -hmm. I, well, I'll I'll just say So I don't know how even to think about the Saturday Free School without situating ourselves within the ideas of Martin Luther King and the Black Freedom Movement. We are revolutionaries because we uphold and defend the third American revolution. There is no American revolutionary that is not anchored and rooted in the American people. And if you care about the American people, and the freedom of the working class and black people, you have to defend the third american revolution people say well it's not a revolution well what what do you mean by a revolution a revolution seeks to take power Mm -hmm. from one class to another you know well how do you know that that's not what was going on here (laughs) i mean well it's because it was led by black people and that's part of the problem Mm -hmm. You see, I'm going to use the shell's language. The white imaginary blinds one to the centrality of the black freedom movement. You see what I'm saying? I'm going to hold on to whiteness if it kills. And it is killing. I'm a white revolutionary. Well, I think those two terms are contradictory. (laughs) This is Baldwin, of course, there is no white revolution. There is no white revolutionary. Every revolutionary seeks to topple whiteness. That's part of the revolutionary process. To the extent that white people abandon whiteness, to that extent, can they see the way forward? Stay white, you stay blinded. Mm -hmm. Stay white, you stay infantile. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Abandon whiteness? you become mature you mature you see what I'm saying people say well white people are the majority well when did revolutionaries base their strategy on majorities as though the question is an election I'm you know like you know, revolutionaries, like, blah blah, 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 You know, like, you take DSA, that whole thing is, we're going to be the left wing of the Democratic Party. Now, we we'll see where that done got y'all. <laughs> y'all the left wing of what? No, it's, frankly, there is no left wing of the Democratic Party. And I think Bernie Sanders proves that to you every single day. <laughs> and so this little nickel and dime game of I'm going to run for city council as a progressive socialist in Philadelphia. Well, like I said, go ahead with your bad son. Don't be calling me to ask no support. I don't support you. In fact, you're just becoming another part of the blackness leadership class. But this idea of gradualism, Mm -hmm. incrementalism, where there are no revolutionary leaps, there are no imaginative leaps, there are no ideological transformation where you don't ask of the masses anything but to vote for you. You see, that type of of framing of things is not only not progressive, it's anti-revolutionary. Just a couple other things in there. Now the Saturday Free School. We're on the cusp of 2024, the greatest crisis in America's political history. Uh, where uh, Jeremiah, when he talks about Robert Kagan, will uh, show Kagan surrendering. He surrenders, and then it's a long article. You know, very interesting. The psychology of the essay. He surrenders. Then he said, No, I'm not surrendering.
1: <laughs>
6: you know, then another paragraph. I'm giving up. I can't fight this. No, no, I'm not giving up. <laughs> you get the guy, he's, he's going into a schizophrenic meltdown. But he represents the ruling class. You know? What? What, and so, pardon so we in the free school look at the next year, not afraid, but with confidence that a new world is coming into being. The great moment of demonstrations, and this is a great moment, by the way, the American people, are more anti war now. You heard me say this the American people are more anti war than they were at the height of the anti Vietnam War protests. The American people have literally said, We ain't gonna study war no more.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: One poll showed that 70% of the people said that they would not join the American military to fight for quote their country. Young people want nothing to do with the American military or with war, and in fact, distrust the ruling class to make any decisions about their lives. I was of the generation that was being drafted to go to Vietnam. I knew what it was like for parents to say, well, go ahead over there and then you'll come back. But if you don't go into the draft, you'll, you'll threaten your well being, getting a job, and all that type of thing. Uh, in fact, my parents were split. Mm -hmm. My father's Cape Verde and he never became a citizen because he did not uh, go to fight in World War II. -hmm. So he could never become a citizen. Mm -hmm. So he was always, as immigrants are generally, uh, they want to go by the rules and be more American than Americans and show the American white white Americans, how good they are and all. And that still plagues the Cape Verde inside of my family. But my mother, they from South Carolina. That's a whole different thing. They came out of South Carolina, you know, running because they had insulted or beat up a white man. They had to flee, you know what I'm saying? So my mother said, you know, she said, no, Tony, you don't have to go. You know, and I didn't and I stood up to it. I was drafted twice, I think once. Mm -hmm. But we were told that we had to show patriotism. Mm -hmm. You know, that to get ahead, we as a people had to prove to the nation that we were deserving of it. So I'm saying that's the way we used to think about it that we were deserving of white people, not the opposite. Well, Baldwin changed all that. Baldwin changed it. He, He demolished that thinking. So we wanted to fight in wars and come back and say, look, we fought in your war, give us freedom. And it never happened today. That discussion would not take place in any household, family, community, church, black, white, Latino, Asian, or otherwise in this country. Mm -hmm. That discussion ain't even on the table. You see what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? The country do not want war, don't want to fight in these wars. And as soon as they can get a little bit of information, they turn against the ruling class. You know, part of the problem with with this moment in Gaza mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so on, and these fool ass politicians mm-hmm. trying to grandstand a bunch of punks. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really, oh, I don't want to really curse from the street why I saw it. But hey, look. Oh, we want to give Israel all that they need. Oh, really? Oh, we want war with Iran. For real? Be careful what you wish for, Mm. punk. You understand? Mm. And I I just want to say, the character of the ruling class has changed. When a ruling (coughs) class... When a ruling class loses its grip, you see a a bunch of punk ass motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. That's all they are. You know, the interesting thing the American people are not afraid of them like they were. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's just like a Catholic been around the neighborhood and bullied everybody. The <laughs> fact, I was talking <laughs> to I was talking to you talking about Monk last <laughs> Saturday. I was talking to one of my neighbors. You know, Monk, used to- Monk became one of the most vicious drug dealers in our neighborhood. So I was talking to one of my long-term neighbors this morning. Hey, oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, yeah, man, Monk tried to kill me, put out a hit on me. I said, Monk, put a hit out on you. What? But I'm just saying Monk was a, was a bully. He's a hell of a drug dealer, but he's a bully and a killer. They murdered people in my neighborhood. So I'm saying, what happens when the bully can't intimidate people no more? When the ordinary person says, Well, hey man, used to take my lunch money. Mm-hmm. used to slap me upside the head when I was in elementary school, and junior high school. You know, now, uh, hey homie, I didn't grow up and I'm a left hook you, you try to put your hands up on me. For the woman married or in a relationship with a bully. And then she realized that he ain't who she thought he was. And now, I'm gonna take your heart. This is what we're looking at, a punk class, the character of this ruling class who at one time could threaten nations like the Congo and say, if you're Lena Patrice Lamumba, don't act like we want him to act, we'll kill him,
1: you
6: know? Of uh, Amilcar Guebra, the kill man. Who you talking with? That kind of thing. Hey, them them threats don't mean nothing no more. Look at Niger. Mm-hmm. Look at Burkina Faso. Mm-hmm. Small countries ain't got that much. They said, but "Look, if we ain't got nothing, we got our heart." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you come up in here, hands will be thrown. We gonna fight. Mm-hmm. This is all over the world, and in this country. Don't nobody fear American imperialism. Yeah. Erdogan of Turkey said, look at here, Israel, they threaten us with nuclear weapons. We got a partner named Pakistan, they got them, and they'll give them to us to use on you. So don't even come yeah. here with that. I mean, it's really, it yeah. doesn't got down to that. It's a dream. It's street, street wide. Street, street wide. Okay. Just like I listen to
10: life. Mm-hmm. I said, they trying to take somebody's turf. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. oh, I'm taking my Go turn down. back. Mm-hmm. Turf. And, and, that's and, right. It's, it's, it's like that. of them is a gang. Sorry. And Netanyahu is the gang. Yeah, mm-hmm. I understand where you
6: come from. Who jumping, and taking people's turf. Mm-hmm. That's right. And now I'm taking my turn back. Mm-hmm. And that's, and it's it's just like, the only thing is, I laugh sometimes when I listen to uh, Alexander Mercurius and the Duran, I mean, I mean it's all good. I mean, he's geostrategic. <laughs> he's real, I mean, I'm about, you know what I'm saying? But that ain't the whole story, Alexander. You know, you talking all that perfect British English. English. <laughs> So nice and shit. Oh, and and him and and what's his name, Brian Brillet. They really got fucked up when Hamas made that move. Oh, they couldn't pull because they think only up here. They don't think about the revolutionary forces on the ground, which can change the whole configuration. You understand? And then they said, oh, Hamas was down with the Muslim Brotherhood, and they never did, and they was killing people, and all that shit that Alexander McCouris was talking about turned out to not be true. Like a, like a friend of mine, I was over his crib, you know, and him and his old lady was saying, well, dig, man, but we have to condemn what Hamas did. I said, well, what did Hamas do? Well, you know what? I said, no, I don't, and you don't either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what the Israelis and American media said they did. You don't know what they did. Come to find out what they did was take down the Israeli military, the galani brigades. Sitting right, I don't mean to get into yes. Right outside the strip. Heavily armed, Hamas stepped to them and they ran. Yeah. Okay, now, the free school. (laughs) You know, um, Emily made the statement that, you know, because we're always comparing Chicago and Philadelphia. A lot of people say from Chicago, they say, well, Chicago is the Midwest Philly.
1: Interesting.
6: A lot of people from Philly say that Philly is the East Coast Chicago, and if you know the two cities, that's you can make that claim. Mm-hmm. Music-wise, I think you know Chicago got a lot. They got blues mm-hmm. and and jazz, mm-hmm. but we we got our thing, which might be a little heavier than Chicago. Mm-hmm. You understand? You know, Chicago got I mean Earth, Wind, and Fire, all that. Give you got to give them all due respect, mm-hmm. but. Um, <laughs> he you got Train and mm. Lee Morgan and McCoy, Tyner. I mean, it's, it's, this is a heavy situation, mm. but this is a poor city. Pretty much dirty city, gritty city, vastly unequal city. But, and this is Emily, but what Philly has. That Chicago doesn't is the Saturday free school. Mm. Ooh. I and I, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm telling you, I have to be. People tell me, "Doc, your." I said, first of all, they're not my students." And I'm saying, "Old heads, stop! You don't have to call me no doc. Call me what you always did, Tony. You know, what I'm saying they call me doc. I try to get them with the L. I'm back into that." <laughs> These
9: are not my students. I'm involved
6: in a collective. What we have in Chicago doesn't, Cleveland doesn't, New York definitely doesn't, is a Saturday Free School. That now going on 12 years has impacted ideological relationships in this city. I could see the difference over these years, because I've been here
1: Mm
6: -hmm. all my life. I knew at some point that the opponents of identity politics and fake revolution were going to push back against us, and they did. Always tried to trivialize us, I said to one cat, called me want to know about our year of uh, Baldwin mm-hmm. and how he could become a part of it and forgive me if if I was not being polite enough but I said well first of all for me to have a relationship with you I got to trust you mm-hmm. guess so. and you have done things to build distrust starting with the fact that you asked me to meet with you about doing something in the school district, and then I didn't hear from you for two years, and next time I see you, you align with what I call the Saturday Fake School, (laughs) a picture of Du Bois, to use the image of Du Bois, to undermine the work of the mm-hmm. and the ideas of the mm-hmm. And you know, he was polite and he said, man, look, I, I'm sorry. You understand? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could have gotten real street and ugly. i mm-hmm. saying sorry, you know, <laughs> but I, I didn't. And he said, well, what do you want me to quit the Saturday fake school? He didn't call it. <laughs> I said, no, man, you know, don't do anything on my because of me. But the fact of the matter is, and I said this to him, so we in the free school have been doing Du Bois over 10 years. I've been doing it for 30 some years in Philly. Why was it so easy for you and other Black people Mm. to align with a white man Mm. that never wrote, Mm. spoke, said anything about Du Bois, but y'all down with that, Mm. you never come to anything that the free school does. Mm. I said, now, I don't want you to come.
1: Mm.
6: Y'all do what you do. Mm. But don't come to me about the year of Baldwin, which, our alliances based upon trust, mm-hmm. not transactions. We don't we're not looking for anything from the school board. Mm-hmm. We don't need funding. You know, we're not doing that. But to us and for us, trust is everything. This brings us to how we approach this year. We decided in our planning group, and the planning is going forward, I think, quite well. We're still working on the vision statement, which has to be calibrated
7: Mm -hmm.
6: in a certain way to account for both the crisis and the way forward, and how Baldwin is central to the way forward, Mm -hmm. you know. But the year of Baldwin will not be um, a city council resolution, Mm -hmm. as was the case with the year of divorce. We don't want to be entangled with the politicians and the political structure of this city, which has deteriorated and become morally more corrupt since 2018. Mm -hmm. Because we want to be able to say we don't support Joe Biden. Mm and we don't want y'all coming back to us. Well, we didn't support you, so you could take a political, no, we're taking a political Mm -hmm. stance because Baldwin, Mm -hmm. a revolutionary took a political stance. Mm -hmm. So we're going to the grassroots. The other thing is to place Baldwin as a person speaking to the the current and contemporary crisis of the United Mm -hmm. States, especially his concept of America being the last white nation. Mm -hmm. What is the significance and meaning of that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or his idea of achieving our nation, Mm -hmm. what did he mean? And no sooner than we go to Baldwin, we go to who might be his intellectual and spiritual mentor, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King. Yeah. Jr. Yeah. We are right, and I think in this year, Baldwin, mm-hmm. we have to say it over and over again, that Martin Luther King is the father of a new nation.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: It's not a hard conclusion to arrive at. Martin Luther King is the father of a new nation. Martin Luther King is as important, if not more so, than Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. or Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You just study him.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Um, and so the free school, I've often I often feel like saying to people, let me reintroduce myself, if you don't mind, <laughs> better like Daisy, put some respect on our name. But for those who don't know, and did not want to know, who thought we would disappear in the helter and skelter of this, of all this bullshit, politic and shit, <clears throat> we're still here, we're still here. And not only do we still hold our same values, but we hold them more strongly,
1: Mm
6: -hmm. we're more confident
1: Mm
6: -hmm. in the values that we hold.
1: Mm
6: -hmm. Uh, For a lot of people that don't know, we've always stood up for revolutionary synthesis, a synthesis, that made central to everything of knowledge, of philosophy, of epistemology, politics, the black freedom movement, Mm
7: -hmm.
6: that we believe that the nation needs a cultural revolution away from the culture of materiality, Mm -hmm. music to make money, Mm -hmm. art to be paid for, We uphold the music of the Black Freedom Movement, including its manifestations in jazz and avant-garde jazz, and in the great rhythm and blues movement, by the way, which I trace from 1960. We talk about rhythm and blues. That music is qualitatively different than most of our music that preceded it while based in it so we want a cultural revolution. We want, in this year of Baldwin, the American people to understand completely what whiteness is as an instrument of class oppression and class disunity. This is what we come to the people with, and I think it's a winning recipe. If if y'all don't mind, could I just play something by Martin Luther King? Yeah. This is this is part of. Play it. This is a part of a larger uh, sermon that he gave. It was probably his most delivered sermon. This one uh the one I like most and this is an excerpt from this I don't know why I like it most but I do like it most this is the one given at Yale University in 1962 mm-hmm. he gave it mainly as a sermon or sermons in a church and um he said the three dimensions now the, the speech begins what this excerpt begins with its conclusions about the second dimension.
1: Mm
6: -hmm. And then he goes to the third dimension, which is a way of helping us to understand King's idea of the colony of time Mm -hmm. and um, the the empire of eternity. Mm -hmm. As you know, we, we in the free school have been dealing with the issue of time quite a bit. Winston and Huey Newton's construals of time, uh, Einstein's mm-hmm. uh, idea of time, time as a material social force,
1: mm-hmm.
6: but King uh, considers it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just want y'all to hear this um, and then uh, I'll hand mean, you. Know.
11: All I am saying is simply this, all life is interrelated we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny whatever affects one directly it affects all indirectly john donne placed it in graphic terms no man is an island entire of itself every man is a piece of the continent a part of the main he goes on toward the end to say any man's death diminishes me because i am involved in mankind therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls it tolls for thee the recognition of this is a mastery of the dimension of breath that is a final dimension many people never get beyond these first two dimensions So they seek to live life without a sky. If life is to be complete. I would suggest that the individual must rise up. Beyond his self-interest even beyond humanity. Discover the eternal God whose purpose changes not. Now I know that some people have neglected this third dimension honest intellectual reasons they have looked out and noticed the problem of evil Mm -hmm. they've looked out and noticed that something that the poet keats calls the giant agony of the world so they begin to ask if that is a good god a loving god who is at the same time all-powerful why does he allow evil of this nature to exist in the universe Others have noticed the church, an organized religion. They've noticed that the church itself is often stagnant and lax. They've noticed the church itself is often a taillight instead of the headlight. They've noticed that people in the church all too often have a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds. From this they have concluded that the church has no relevance to social issues of our day. So because of that disgust with organized religion, they have turned away from the third dimension of life. Then others find it difficult to square their intellectual worldview with the sometimes unscientific and primitive dogmas of religion. But I suspect that Most of the people who have neglected this third dimension have done it, not for honest intellectual reasons, but because they have become so unconsciously involved in the things of life. and So they've ended up living on the plane of secularism and materialism unconsciously. But in spite of our theoretical denials We continue to have spiritual experiences that cannot be explained in materialistic terms. In spite of our doubts. We continue to feel another order impinging upon us. In spite of our inordinate worship of things. Ever and again, something comes to remind us. Lasting. And eternal things of reality are never seen. So we go out at night and look up at the beautiful stars. As they bedeck the heavens like swinging lanterns of eternity. And for the moment we feel that we see all. Then something comes to remind us that we can never see the law of gravitation that holds them there. We come into this beautiful chapel. We walk around this campus with all of its beautiful buildings and significant architecture and for the moment we think we see all but then something comes to remind us we can never see the mind of the architect who drew the blueprint we can never see the love and the faith and the hope of the individuals who made these buildings possible well you look here this morning and i'm sure you're saying i see martin luther king and i guess i'm saying i see you i say to you you only see my body you only see the external manifestation of me you can never see my mind you can never see my personality you can never see the me that makes me me everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see and so maybe plato was right the visible is a shadow cast by the invisible So even though we can't see God, it is still possible that God is in this universe. So all of our new developments banish God neither from the microcosmic compass of the atom, nor from the vast unfathomable ranges of interstellar space, living in a universe in which we are forced to measure stellar distance in light years. Confronted with the illimitable expanse of the solar system, in which stars are 500 million, million miles from the Earth, in which the ages of planets are reckoned in terms of billions of years, and heavenly bodies travel at incredible speed, modern man is forced to cry out with the psalmist of old, and I behold the heavens, the work of thy hands, the moon and the stars, and all that thou hast created. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou remembereth him. And So may it not be that Saint Augustine was right. We were made for God. We will be restless until we find rest in him. So this dimension gives us a bit of faith in the future. It gives us. A sense of cosmic companionship as we struggle to grapple with the problems of life and the problems of the universe. At times, people have said that the struggle taking place in the South and the individuals involved in the movement have developed a sort of spiritual movement. I don't think they are talking about religion in the negative sense or a meaningless religion. I think it is a spiritual movement in the sense that the participants, by and large, have faith in the future. And the participants somehow feel that in the struggle for that which is right, in the struggle for justice, that is cosmic companionship. Those students have developed a marvelous little song. It goes something like this. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. Deep in my heart, I do believe. We shall overcome.
6: Mm -hmm. No one has ever spoken like that before. Since Mm -hmm. it's a genius of mind, of work. But anyway, I'll stop there. Send it back to Emily. Maybe can. Anybody want to say anything? you know I'm,
10: I'm always drawn it um, because we're in a religious place and setting you know to, all, all he's had to do is right but the the overallness of um, where my life evolved from in connecting with his um, speeches and um, and connecting with his it wasn't his demise and his loss when he um, was assassinated that that was a different it was like different concept of different kind of knowledge or concept of what I was what I was going to be exposed to. I can't you can't arrange these kind of arrangements when you're um, finding who you are. And then my religious life is it's it's open for the kind of order like life. I don't really I'm listening, but my order in my life comes from those kind of like spiritual um a person that has a spirituality that they already it's a part of. It was a part of their life already. Even if they were young, they was much more wise and older than the world that we um, we only can hardly know that world because he was already arriving with a kind of place in his life. And it's, and I'm saying how my family respect me. He had families that respected him too. They they might not have understood where he was headed to, but his kind of oratory power. And his um and his gracefulness that he could yeah. still maintain this kind of balance in the, you know, in the in the world of vicious violence, not regular violence, vicious violence. Because this is different for me for, for the violence, but the viciousness is something else. And he was putting he was putting his life on the line against this kind of viciousness, not, not the violence, vicious violence, because that... Could be a distinctiveness about violence, you know, because we were the people that that brought our communities. We we came through violence, but we was walking through a viciousness of violence. Mm-hmm. Um, of, if it, if it was anything similar, it would be like that. We watching in Pelican, for mm-hmm. so he because he would be, uh, you know, totally he would. They wouldn't even know what to do with themselves. If, if they don't even listen to this, this kind of um oratory. Um, so it's a serenity, but it but it but it's a powerful place that he's speaking from. You know, and, and, and so that we know that it is a religious life that we inclined to, it's a philosophical life I'm inclined to, but it's a religious life that gives you the, the space to, to explore and speak to. 'Cause because it's it's manifesting the highest amount of things that we can only put in our lives for us to be acquainted with that little small measure. That yeah, we can give that little small measure, like Lincoln said, it's a small measure. That we don't sacrifice and you know, and it's the other part of us, it's, it's 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 it makes something sacred. You know, my life is something sacred. When I ain't here, my life I'm surrendered to is already. It's like, you spoke about Lincoln, I'll be reading Lincoln's Gettysburg just because I'm not stupid student without walking on those kind of, um, it's like a consecrated room. Like you can totally consecrate schools. I'm not, I'm not making I'm not making this up, but it's like part of when somebody consecrates something and then we can't take on the, this American revolution, that's not the revolution that people are throwing bottles and cans and stuff. Am not talking about that one? We're talking about mm-hmm. consecration of when people don't even know what kind of civilization they're going to have. But I'm saying something like, King, I'm like, you know, putting it in my heart that like King is trying to revive civilizations worldwide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's not talking to just us. This is like a worldwide phenomenon. And I, we don't think that he's, somebody else around the world is looking at Kings like, you know, and it's like we are. We, we're not the only one but we might be the voice right now you know, you know what, what this brings us to the fear and stuff is something that you know we could be fearless but we could be sensible too
1: mm.
10: you know you don't have to run out in front of the bullet mm-hmm. you know you just don't you might not we, it might not be our line of way of thinking and believing because my sacred belief keeps me here it keeps me endeared to somebody like king I don't want to go out and attack people, but I don't want us to be attacked people.
1: Yeah.
10: You know, I don't want us to be attacked because it's our voice and our, and our energy and our courage, you know, to um, come forward. And, and don't be fearful of somebody teaching and showing us something. You know I mean? Because we got a lot to um, still see and learn. You know, something from King, you know, it's important for every kid in the world, child in the world. Mm-hmm you know then then the people could could rally around you know such things that we're listening to and so that they can feel the same thing so we can um be a part of a new civilization Mm
7: -hmm.
10: and not lose just don't lose this trail and don't lose this road and and don't lose the um, marks
6: thank you Mm -hmm. thank you anybody else um, Speak up
9: a little bit. This society has been able to reduce water with the down to an emotion. What emotion? Yeah, that's what they were getting. And I have to say for myself, um, when I listen to King, and I, I'm a student of the Bible, the scriptures both put and the New Testament, and we Christ. Addressing advanced humanity
1: mm-hmm.
9: and what we owe to our fellow man, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why the King was a um You know, this analogy is that you can go to the supermarket buy a box of and when we'll you open it up, you find that they're mm-hmm. And that's what America has done with Christianity. I'm saying this from the point of view that. I was put in a struggle, King and Mouth. And when I looked at the history of white Christianity, your sister Christianity, um, I was determined that all hell would have to break loose for me to become Christian. Mm-hmm. I hated Christianity, I hated everything that it represented because. Um, I was given the raising rams. Christ mm-hmm. on the inside. In the inside. And uh, I looked at God as my black prince, as my deliverer. He was my side. And Christ, I didn't see anything in King. To associate with the black men. Mm -hmm. Um, As as men, we we have what I call in us, spartans As you know, Spartacus, men want to protect, they want to defend, Mm -hmm. especially the women, the children, and the foster, and the community. And that was a recipe. I was uh, captured as a man. Mm-hmm. I couldn't provide. Mm-hmm. could protect them. I could protect our women from violation. Mm-hmm. They're violated on a block, a center block, where women were shut down meds to show themselves uh, to lose and hollers of the virus, mm-hmm. children sold off molested. Mm-hmm. I found out recently there were actually plantations that were that were purpose for the sodomy of the black boys. Mm-hmm. It's been soft which is not the So I didn't really Christian mm-hmm. at all. And uh, one day there's an event. My brother was in jail. Got in trouble, with the jail. And my brother was a gangster. Everybody knew my brother. You remember art Street? You the yeah. Western Love, you had the Rose, you had the coach, you had art Street, you yeah. know, you had uh, Bulletin well, Avenue, yeah. well, Avenue mm-hmm. uh, Shore, you had the O State Avenue, uh North Florida, you had uh you know you had the Mount Mountains, yeah, you know the zoo, 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 zoo. speed yeah. up in German Listen, when I grew up, you had to know where the hell you were going That's right. Once you pass 14 years old, you just didn't get up, like leave the beaver and go to the house. <laughs> that was all of ultimate, okay. You had to know where you were going and who was there, okay. And so I'm saying this to say that we from took. Okay. Now I wasn't a fighter, but I was a runner. I know my ass off. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I had friends telling me they didn't think I was gonna live. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fighter because it wasn't that couldn't fight. I didn't want to fight. Because I saw you as my brother. You were black and you were in the show. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have the intellectual maturity to understand it. Mm-hmm. Because I was white skinned, I became a victim of being white.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Not in my own doing. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so I started to understand the reason why Martin the King was not, I mean, not Martin the King, when Joe Lewis was not talking the mothers because he was light skinned. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Muhammad Ali, he talks about how he was a victim of being white. So a lot of people don't know why like because you know, you got yeah. And my, brother, my my brother was very thin like me. So my brother had curly hair. My brother was not your gross, OK? He knew who he was. He said, you you, your brother, or oh, we know who you are. And I'm saying, I, I had an anger in me. I had a hatred for my people. Not mm-hmm. mm-hmm. okay. I mean, I certainly hate the white people. I had some of the dogs, when I saw the trauma. I remember as a kid, I was not even 10 years old. We were walking down Erie Avenue. Mm-hmm. And I'm 10 years old, late at night. My mother was going to visit a friend of hers. We had just one shot. And this cop came up with two white cops in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
9: And they said some things to my mother sexual. Wow. Um, and at 10 years old, I wanted to say something. Mm-hmm. My mother grabbed me like, she should shut the doorstep.
1: Yeah.
9: Okay. At 10 years old, I wanted to defend my mother. You follow what I'm going brother? Mm-hmm. And I remember that to this day. I was 10. Now I'm i will be 70 so 21st. So that's remembering 60 years old. Hard. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm saying this that when my brother came out of prison, my brother was a Christian. Mm-hmm. At this time, I graduated from school. I excelled the school. Except I was blessed. That was a gift. Nothing. Our intellectual capacities that we have in the room are a gift from God to be used for His purposes. Not to be also mm-hmm. having that. Yes. And you make yourself. Right. Okay. right. okay. And and so. When my brother came out of school, when I came out of jail, I came out of school, graduated with a 3.87 in the temple, got accepted into uh, law school. And you remember the brother who was the first dean of the temple law school? Um, he stopped me asking my grades. So I was a excellent student. Brother comes out, I was offered jobs, and I did work on Wall Street. Brother comes out, he's a Christian. So when but, but I came out, I'm reading the Quran, my friends and Muslims, I'm working overseas. And he confronted me. He said that Christ had to be a liar and lunatic of the Son of God. Set up one more time. He said that Christ either had to be a liar mm-hmm. or lunatic or the Son of God. Now yes. in the Islam, Christ here. Mm-hmm. In the Islam, we he was born of a virgin.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: He was consecrated by the Spirit of God. God spoke life into him. And he was the man without sin. He's everything that he is in the Christian Bible What he is, Okay. That's the difference. So I'm reading the Quran and Jesus Christ said that He was that He was God manifested in the flesh to walk among men on earth and, and that's peace in the world. So I couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't balance these arguments because they were in contradiction to each other. Okay. Even the Muslims break me to hear Christ. So, I'm challenged by this, and I'm not accepting Christianity. I'm not reading in my mind. This is a no-go.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: So, something in me, and I'm going to say to God, Spirit, said, Why don't you stop looking at the pictures of Jesus Christ and what has been done in my name and find mm-hmm. my, my head? Mm-hmm. So, I, I picked up the Bible and I read it. And when I read the Bible, I started to cry
1: mm-hmm.
9: because what had is Christianity, a brutal, colonial, rapacious mm-hmm. system reflecting Christ down at all. Mm-hmm. And these people that sold us on auction lot with a big Bible were not Christians.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: And when I read the Bible, I started to realize the Bible took place in an Asian culture that mm-hmm. they have hijacked our faith. Yours not to be in the Bible. Then I think if you don't come up until the New Testament, period, under the Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm sitting back and I said, I got a bit of brown in it. That's my simplest analogy. And so I realized that hate was going to be shorter.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I became a Christian, but I still hated white people.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Wow! But my history, and I was very successful in Wall Street. Mm-hmm. I wore Brooks Brothers
1: clothes.
9: Mm-hmm. I went to I studied European culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: I understood the inflection. Mm-hmm. And still, white people, the system loved me. They embraced it.
7: Mm-hmm.
9: <laughs> okay, but when I looked at it, I wanted to have the life. They never moved in the room. I saw myself. You remember the book cause You remember this? I didn't even remember this. <laughs> sit by the door? Oh, that's what I saw myself. Spoke to sit by the door. Mm. But when I became a Christian, there was a tension inside of me. I couldn't be a Christian and went to the mm. So one day God confronted me. He said to me, you can't be a Christian. I can't be a Christian
1: mm-hmm.
9: unless you want to get to love all people,
1: mm-hmm.
9: no matter what. He said, "I loved you when you were, you hated me, when you were my enemy. Mm-hmm. if you weren't nothing, I still loved you and I still wanted you." Mm-hmm. And then one time, Christ confronted me. It
7: mm-hmm.
9: was a guy. I in the office. He was very successful, very well, and. I'll die one morning as I usually do. And God said, Why don't you share the good news
7: Mm -hmm.
9: to Wayne Lynn? I said, Well, Wayne Lynn, he's white, he's a millionaire, He travels, belongs to the country club, Mm -hmm. he's in the finest restaurants. He said, No, that's not what we don't want to share the gospel.
1: Mm
9: We don't want to share the gospel with him because he's white. Mm who my way, I would never shit sure about the white people So I wanted to go there. <laughs> I would shit with an Asian brother, I would shit with an Indian brother, an <laughs> Arab brother, anybody else, a white people, something like this. <laughs> you know, I can't get it, you just gotta get up with I was confronted with that and he said no. You have to love all people.
7: Mm-hmm.
9: And that's when I started to become a human being. Mm-hmm. So I realized that hatred would destroy sure your man mm-hmm. So now when I see a person in need, white, black, it doesn't matter. You know, I'll give I have anybody to need. And so when I listen to King, mm-hmm. King was given. It was was the Christ story when he talked about we belong to the universe in concert with it and not to ourselves. Mm -hmm. You made in the image of God.
1: Mm -hmm.
9: Okay? And white people took that from everybody. White Christianity took our humanity from us. Mm -hmm. They weren't Christians. Mm -hmm. They used Christianity to colonize the world. They say they we're bringing the good news. Mm-hmm. And it is what we see today in today's Zionism.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Mm-hmm. Zionism it, that's what they did. So what happened, you know, so when you read the Bible, you realize that it truly is the greatest story ever told,
12: mm-hmm.
9: And that's what King is saying in different words. Okay, mm-hmm. when, I mean, when I spoke, the Bible said to me, I'm supposed to love my brother, more than myself. I'm supposed to be more interested in your needs than my needs. I can't, I don't know how to do that. Are, are, are you kidding me? When I'm home, my mom makes a piece of pie, and no, all my American daughters fight for that piece of pie. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> you're talking, you're taking this on a positive note, mm. okay? And so, it changed, it changed. So, so you understand, King. Mm. I hear the love of Christ being popped, piped through his oratory gift. That gift was given him by God. Mm-hmm. This meeting you have right now, I didn't expect to hear you that sermon. And um, so what I wanted to say is that if I had stayed in the system, I would have lost my humanity for control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to live for something more than what you can eat, what you can wear. And then you start to realize the selfishness, how truly selfish we are, even in our sexuality. How men exploit women for their sexual pleasure. In mm-hmm. you know, their lives, the women say they love us, in be comforted mm-hmm. Christ talks about Christ gives you like every element of our humanity. And so, for me, when I read the Bible, I asked God to forgive me for all the people I knew. Mm-hmm. I thought for all the women that took advantage of it, I was a all the rest of that. You know, all that <laughs> stuff comes. And you know how to throw this up, right? Yeah, you should some had to to these, women, these women. And I had to ask myself this that woman is somebody's mother, mm-hmm. somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, somebody's niece, somebody's family. She's part of my humanity. If I destroy sure her, I destroy sure myself.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
9: That's what Christ made me realize. Mm-hmm. She's not an object.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: She's not something to be called over,
1: mm-hmm.
9: to be sold off. And so the humanity I have right now for people, it's not me, it's what God has put in, it and what God put in it in Martin Luther King. And that's why they killed Martin. They had to kill Martin Luther King.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Martin Luther King is the biggest threat to this system, mm-hmm. and they had to kill him. He was bigger threat than mountain. Because mm-hmm. Malcolm had to get Mount, got him to a point, he came back from Mecca and saw Muslims of all different colors. But in Islam, it is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a In the Old Testament, it is an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a The Bible tells you to love your enemy. Love, you nuts.
1: <laughs>
9: I want to kill my enemy. How can I love my enemy? How can I love the person Mm -hmm. that did that to me? And so Christ showed me in me by loving people and loving white people, because that was my struggle.
1: Mm -hmm.
9: I always had, my best friends in college were people that were, they were Chinese. Mm -hmm. Um, My best friends were Chinese Americans, and and, and, and Chinese from from China, Mm
1: -hmm.
9: Indian friends, I never had anything against people of color because they hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. Just like Muhammad Ali said, why am I going to kill brown skin Vietnamese people? They didn't nothing to me. These people I never so I hadn't had them. Mm-hmm. So what I'm I guess what I'm saying is that when you just played that, that convinced me that I'm here for a purpose mm-hmm. and a fight. And I think what you're doing with with, with the king I think we'll bring this system down. And and I think, and that's why I'm here. Cause my wife asked me, she said, you're a Christian. And she said, what are you, she said, what are you doing? And um, I said, well, I don't even know why I'm here. I said, I'm here for the intellectual situation. You know, I read, Plato, I read, I read arguments, I read prose, I like history. And um, I'm here because I love you, and you don't know me. And I love this country, with all of its stores
1: mm-hmm.
9: and all of it's done. Mm-hmm. And I'm just in here. I saw apartheid this morning. I went to this coffee shop, La Cologne. <laughs> and I so saw all, all these privileged people lined up to get coffee. And I was one of the I was one of two races there. And I, and, I, and, I, and I realized I realized when I was there, the majority of them were very privileged people. I have been talking about uh, playing golf and I had a I, had a, I had a golf castle, and they were talking about their dogs and I got and dogs. and uh I'm you know flying off this weekend. In, in, in the midst of that, I saw an elderly woman who fell down from the ground, who was poor, mm-hmm. with a car, and all her belongings was there.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: And I looked around and I saw what was what was going around me, and that stuff recorded me. I got angry. Mm-hmm. I said, "Don't you see the poverty in front of you?
1: Mm-hmm.
9: But yet you love animals more so than you love humans. Right. 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 Okay, man. Okay. Thank you.
6: I do agree with you, Joseph. The King, you know, um, I can't say that I'm a Christian. I'm one of those people that King spoke about for whom organized religion was the greatest disappointment. Yeah. You know, and even up to this day, I find very little that recommends organized religion in the churches. Uh, to me, and uh, but that does not mean that I do not understand King. And you mm-hmm. know, one of the things that, that speech, which I will share with you, because this idea of, co- of cosmic companionship—what yes. does all of this mean? I don't quite understand mm-hmm. it all. That when you when he said the people fighting for civil rights in the South kind of feel. Mm-hmm. That they are they are part of a that mm-hmm. they have a cosmic companion.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Or when he quotes Saint Augustine mm-hmm. 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 that man is made for God. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. You know, my friend Munchie, who is mm-hmm. no longer with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was his favorite speech. We talked about it a lot. But the thing I think that was most Moving for him in society because he's a religious cat, light skinned like you from South Philly, and box by the way. And he said the part is when King quoted Saint Augustine: "Man is made for God, mm-hmm. and he will not feel. What did he say? How did he put? It? He will not feel himself. He will not feel." Satisfied mm-hmm. until he recognizes that mm-hmm. this idea of man made for more
1: than mm-hmm.
6: this world, and so relates so much when one you know thinks about the children of God, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. enormous sacrifice of that people, mm-hmm. um, and their immortality as it were. But
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I got really emotional when you said I love you.
9: Mm-hmm.
2: And I was trying to figure out why.
9: Um I, I love you because I was created to love.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: I was not created to hate. And mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's why we're on so many medications.
1: That's
9: why we cry at night.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Because right God created us his image to so love one another and we're surrounded mm-hmm. by perpetual clothing clothing, form fashion in many ways is disguised but when you declove it to its nakedness, mm-hmm. we're surrounded by it.
1: Mm-hmm. sometimes
9: even our own, even in our marriages even our marriage, we have relationships with our siblings because a lot because we, we live in a world that all of us inside are afraid
1: mm-hmm.
9: We all know that we're afraid, and we're in different ways. Every person is afraid to die. Because they don't know what's on the other side. We all know that we've created more than this. Yeah. We all know that there is an existence after life. Atheist knows it. agnostic knows it. They don't want to recognize it because they want to live in this world on their terms and their conditions. Mm -hmm. And you realize to be a Christian, to be what, Mal, what King said, means you have to envy yourself of self. And we don't want to do that. We struggle with it every day. We struggle with it. We struggle okay. with it to, So that's why I love you. I love you because it's what I was created to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's my purpose for existence. And my purpose for existence is this.
1: Mm-hmm.
9: Clothing, what I can ascertain, who I can sexually explain. Mm-hmm. Wow. What is that? At the end of life, whenever that time happens, what what will you be remembered for? What have you put into other people to make your lives better? What kind is that? Well,
2: I think I I got emotional when he said I love you also because I thought of King. Mm -hmm. And I just also wanted to say that I really agree that I think Martin Luther King Jr. was James Baldwin's mentor and father in some ways. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of deep because James Baldwin always talked about his novels and his essays that it took me a long time to not hate my father I yeah. don't and, and there's something really deep because like i just discovered james baldwin has written a lot about martin luther king jr more than i realized mm-hmm. and there's even this essay from his collected essays called cross the cross oh, of redemption, redemption. Mm-hmm. yeah where he, he says where he says i don't they will come a day where people have to recognize how much love blood and passion Gave to a people who may not have realized it in the moment, and mm-hmm. uh, and even Baldwin. Like I was also reading his essay about um, Israel um, that Shemar actually told me about. I think Neha had it, where it's his letter called like the Letter to the Born Again. But that that's not just a Christian reference. It's a reference to King, um, like King saying America has to be born again.
9: Mm-hmm. And well, because. We, we, we want to get, the King was still saying that America has to come to recognize
8: right.
9: its great sin against humanity.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's why I liked also the, what, the, what you said, Doc, about what we're seeing today is a crisis where there needs to be a regrounding of America. Again, and that comes from King. And, and I think that is tied to Baldwin, but. The real thing I wanted to say is that I think King still lives today. And it's what you were saying, or maybe it was Derek. Derek was saying that King King doesn't just live in the American people. I think there's a memory. I think there's a memory like in our blood and our subconscious somewhere. If you're born in America, there's a memory of King. That's almost like we're in a sandbox digging for. And um but I also wanted to talk about the Palestinian people because you know, that that professor, and poet, um, Rafal, Al- I think his name is Rafal R- 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 Arnir, yeah, he, that poem, um, um, If I Must Die, it's a reference, is a reference to Claude McKay's poem, If You Must Die, but in some ways that's not just about Claude McKay, it's a reference to the black freedom struggle. I did think so because also then one of his students wrote a poem to the professor that said the man who refused to be moved. And that's a reference to me. I feel like it's a reference to the civil rights movement too. We, we shall not be moved. Mm-hmm. And I just think there's an energy in the world of, I think there is an energy of the world, whether you want to say it's a it's a human, it's a humanity that's beyond the white world, humanity mm-hmm. beyond Europe, mm-hmm. like an afro the constitution of the world, however you want to talk about it. I think there is a regrounding of like what you were saying of humanity. Well, a regrounding of humanity, and and for me, I really connected to King, and yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say, but
9: when you, when you I just think, think it's when you read King, King's teacher was Christ. He studied the foot of the Bible. He studied the foot of the Bible. He read, he understood scripture. He understood what Christ was trying to say, and he was able to carry forward that message. discussed discussion today, mm-hmm. and that is love for your fellow man. Mm-hmm. Do not abuse. We shouldn't. Mm-hmm. My purpose of life is not to abuse people mm-hmm. for, for selfish gain. Mm-hmm. That's not my purpose in life. Yeah. My purpose in life is if you listen to King, there were two scriptures, and the reason they were living together. Mm-hmm. They asked question, was the most important thing. He gave two laws. He said, The love of the Lord thy God all the Lord of all the which means to obey what I say to do. Mm-hmm. Follow our teachers like doctors, And the second one was to love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm-hmm. So if you love your neighbor as yourself, would you rate your your neighbor's order, you know don't like mm-hmm. Would you steal from your neighbor. Mm-hmm. You want to steal from you. Mm-hmm. You want to would you try to do some of a man's right? Mm-hmm. No, nobody's trying to steal from your wife. Mm-hmm. Would you try to take another man's husband? Mm-hmm. No, you want to take your husband. You follow me? So, this is a ripple effect of if you love God, then you will love your neighbor. If you don't love God, you can't love your neighbor. That's what he's saying.
6: Can I just say something? See, and this is—that's what I agree with you. But you know, um, and then I guess we should turn it over to uh, Jeremiah. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, one of the great obstacles uh, to the recognition and understanding of King Mm -hmm. is the Christian Church itself. Mm -hmm. Not to not not to leave out of this. yeah. Um, you know, um, you know, the free school, we've been involved with a lot of churches.
1: Yeah.
6: And um, I can only speak for myself. Uh, there is disappointment after disappointment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, um, the Episcopal Church, which is probably the richest and most wealthy church in this area uh is uh you know primarily consumed with money
1: mm-hmm.
6: and making money and holding on to its wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to other churches and one thing I've noticed about religion today in churches is mm-hmm. that it's about the material world and about wealth and about people getting paid, even hustle. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think um, I think what the Free School will attempt to do in 2024 in this year of Baldwin is to reclaim King in his words.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, like you say, most people have never heard the uh, sermon, Three Dimensions of a Complete Life, certainly not this uh, clip, but there is so much, he was a super genius. Uh, and. Um, you can hear the words, no one I don't think has ever spoken like that. And how did he learn to speak like that? How did he, Mm -hmm. and how did he know all of these things? Everything from Plato to St. Augustine to Keats, Mm -hmm. you know, the huge Mm -hmm. agony of the world. Mm
1: -hmm.
6: You know, he is himself encyclopedic and it, it is, I think every time you listen to King, and this is why his exclusion from schools and colleges Mm -hmm. is such a crime against children and youth. Mm -hmm. Every time you listen to King, you're learning, your mind expands. It's not just for the sake of you being smarter, Mm -hmm. but how can I use this to free the people? Mm -hmm. How can I bring this message to more people? Mm -hmm. Um, So so I think it is a, I think Martin Luther King is a a tremendous gift to humanity, certainly to this country. And I agree with you uh, completely. I think that uh, too often Malcolm has been used to diminish King. I don't know that Malcolm would necessarily have done it at least in his latter period, but he's used. Uh, Malcolm is the revolutionary. King is the assimilationist. That's what we're fed. If you go to Black Studies uh, in the universities, which I think is pretty much the opposite of Black Studies, they don't study Black people. They study a fictional African, you know. And we're all an African people. And I, you know, I was a temple, I was part of the department where this. Uh, is being promoted to young black students. And they they don't know any difference. They don't know King. But uh, I, I just, you know, a whole movement in the black struggle after King's assassination developed to destroy King. And I can name them. I can name them. Uh, Malana Karanga, Maletha Asante, uh, to a certain extent, John Henry Clark. Um, I could just go down the list Mm -hmm. of this whole, and and, and there is, is, I have to say, there is an objective reason for it. Like you said, Joe, I mean, how do we, who have been the victims of such a cruel system, Mm
1: -hmm.
6: how do we relate to this? How do we reckon with this situation? You know what I'm saying? And there were, uh, how do well, I don't like the voice that God wants to well, that's Well, that's, that's a part of the same question,
1: mm-hmm.
6: you know, because isn't, as we, as we came to believe, isn't Christianity a slave religion?
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Wasn't this all imposed upon us by slave mm-hmm. masters? And that's why so many brothers and sisters in the 60s and 70s became muslim or at least took on muslim names or have names no whatever, whatever but it was a judgment upon the failure of christianity and they tied martin luther king up into all of this that he was not a part of in fact that he was fighting against i mean that's so to reclaim king is to reclaim the revolutionary possibilities of the American people. Mm-hmm. That's what it is.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: I mean, one could go to the spiritual level or the religious level. Mm-hmm. I, mean, right. say this religious. I mean, however, you know, I perhaps will take it differently from you,
1: mm-hmm.
6: you know. Um, but one thing is for certain, a A revolution of values means a rejection of the values of the capitalist system and of the bourgeoisie and what has been imposed upon at least two generations of young Black people through the instrument of quote-unquote hip-hop. There is, I don't find, and y'all might be able to, given our history, now maybe for those who are not Black, it can be a party music, but for us- There's
9: nothing beginning about
6: It is not, not for us. Not, I mean, unless you find it uh, interesting that we are the first people to use music to call our women bitches and hoes. <laughs> and <laughs> nobody never. I'm, I'm trying, trying to find, hold on Joe, let me I'm trying to find an instant in human history where this happened. Right. And let's be real, if they were calling white women, bitches and hoes, they would be locked up. They wouldn't be billionaires. And don't tell me now I'm sending, Now that I became rich, I'm sending my children to private school, mm-hmm. while you get cats talking about, we are gonna introduce a hip hop pedagogy in the poor schools of black, mm-hmm. uh-uh. So to reclaim King is to reclaim the revolutionary possibility. I don't know that there's any other trajectory that will do it. I studied the left in the Communist Party twenty-five years. I'm but no punk. You understand? And so. Uh, If one is, if one stays true to what you say you about, if you are a revolutionary, how do you conduct a revolution? What do you say to the people as a revolutionary? You know, do I I make a uh, LGBTQ argument? That is, do I make a Black Lives Matter argument? Do I make an Afrocentrist argument? I find that none of those frameworks liberates a single human being from systemic oppression. I might feel good, but let's keep it real. It's arrogance. It's but to pursue and conduct a revolutionary struggle in this country we don't need to go nowhere else in the world this is not the cuban revolution
7: Mm -hmm.
6: you know this is not the chinese revolution you know what i'm saying this is a revolution taking place in the throes of a Systemic crisis of a system built on the free labor of enslaved people. A system that never became. And so we're talking about the long game. That's that's what I think King. That's the revolution. Now I, I say this to me all the time. You know what I'm saying?
9: You know, understand it, well You understand it too. Our <laughs> our black athletes in not for it. I know that.
6: No, and no. can so for it. No, and it don't make. See, and that's it. See the distractions. The black athlete is a distraction, and I love boxing. The black and the the whole the whole sphere. Distraction. Of, yeah, it's to take people away from the great struggle that they must be involved in if they want their lives and their children's lives to be better. You can't go no other way. So, I mean, let me leave you the Saturday Free School. I'll just end on this and I'm going to turn it over to Jerry. Okay, we're entering our 12th year. 12 years of trying to do the right thing, not trying to win the popularity of, of those who you never going to make. There are people, somebody I say this to you, there are people that will never see the world as we do. They don't want to see the world as we do. But these people, I can assure you of this, they will ultimately be broken on the wheel of life they will be broken, by the, and they will die on their own sword. They will die on their own sword. The, this is what you said, that arrogance, all young people are arrogant to assert this. It's, it's a, a, I don't know, a, a adolescence. You know, you arrogant, you know it all, can't nobody tell you nothing. But at some point, you have to realize that you don't know it all. And therefore, you abandon that selfishness, that narcissism. And you give in to truths that you never were taught. You see what I'm saying? This is where King is so important. Get King wrong, you get the whole process wrong. Get the Black Freedom Movement wrong, you get everything wrong. You know, I'm, believe me. So we are attempting to advance a revolutionary process.
10: Mm-hmm.
6: At the end of the day, a rep, which is what? Well, a process calling for peace. What does King and bobo mean? Love your brother as yourself. Why did he say that? Why did, he, mm-hmm. why did they have to say it? And what was their intellectual political strategy? What were they saying that hadn't been said before? Why didn't Jefferson say it? Why didn't Lincoln say it? Why did it only come out of the bowels of the most despised hated people in this country? The most hated people were proclaiming the need to love. Isn't that an irony? But isn't the irony a manifestation of the history of this country mm-hmm. to solve that paradox? Mm-hmm. To solve that paradox is to be able to then pursue revolution. You don't solve that paradox, you lost. As they say, you lost in the sauce. You all mixed up.
7: And
6: so I know there are a communist who adhered to the materialist philosophical thing. Mm. Ain't nothing wrong with that. In that debate, in the debate over the church in Europe and its doctrine, as opposed to you know, the, uh, of the revolutionary struggle. So they had to, nothing wrong with that. And philosophical, terms, I'm a materialist. But King was talking about something else, and this is where the revolutionary struggle, as he saw it, as Baldwin and others saw it, was connected to civilization, yeah. mm-hmm. a new civilization,
1: mm-hmm.
6: yeah, coming out of the proletariat. Mm-hmm. Putin halfway got it right, but he can't get it right. He have to. He have to reference King. Mm -hmm. You know, when he talked about civilization,
1: Mm
6: -hmm. Donald Trump ain't gonna get it right. He's just gonna be flailing. You know what I'm saying? You ain't got King hometown. You ain't gonna get this right. And they're gonna try to kill you. They're gonna they're gonna king you. You know what I'm saying? It's but it's something, by the way, Mm -hmm. and this is. This is the um, spiritual ideological absence in the white world. First of all, too much arrogance, too much self-referencing. You know, even among the poor white. Too much. You see what I'm saying? Uh, You know. You get like Robert F. Kennedy, you got to be macho, you got to be the man, you get uh, Trump. Hey, hey, you know, hey Trump, i just give you a couple speeches. and can't listen, <laughs> it's not just with this, with this, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it's something that they can't transcend. Mm-hmm. They can't transcend it. Now, when they're around black people, they're kind of humbled. Mm-hmm. I saw it with Trump, I see it with Robert F. Kennedy. Because they know what well, we know, this is a historic people. Mm-hmm. This is the people of this country. But how do you, I listen to, uh, what's his name? Tucker Carlson. Mm-hmm. Oh, racism don't exist, y'all, you know. Uh, see, then you have to say, here is the white man who can't give up being white well, you, you, and therefore you never, you never read, Baldwin. Oh, mm-hmm. you don't need that. Cause I, I got John Locke, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, or I don't need that cause you know, I got Alexander Hamilton and Frederick, mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, Jefferson. Mm-hmm. What you think you don't need is what you need. And so that's what we're saying that the political crisis is going to deepen, what is its rev- resolution? See, that's the thing in 2020, how will it be resolved? Well, we're going to have an election. Somebody's going to be elected look like Trump right now, which is going further the crisis. But, yeah. go ahead, go ahead.
9: <laughs> Listen, to me, the root of it is this. We all know that God is right, don't we? <laughs> See, this is what Christianity postulates in like the world. Look at the image of Christ. Christ is always the picture just do it, But me, not, only, not only in terms of his picture. Yeah. But what he's saying is that white people's purpose was to be created. They were created in the image of God. And so they were you in the image
6: they manufactured on the wall. Do you did he see that? No, 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 no. no. They're, they're, they're all, they're white. I know that's it. Yeah. And that is, you know, and that's what the free school, right. but and, and, you know, but anyway, let me, I, and, I'm, talk, and I'm, I'm talking about Christians, see there's a difference. I've met white people that are real Christians, they don't understand it. Yeah. okay? Listen, no, 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 let me, just say, let me just say this. Let me just, let me just say one thing. See, I think what I was getting at, the paradox of whiteness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The paradox of whiteness is a paradox that white people have to work through.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Now, some will work work through it based upon being immiserated and impoverished. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: If you're homeless on the street, or if you're up in mm-hmm. uh, Kensington, mm-hmm. you know, shooting fentanyl, mm-hmm. that is your moment of reckoning with yourself almost. Mm-hmm. Because you have to ask, I thought that whiteness. Would protect me mm-hmm. from this. This, I'm in a situation yeah. that's supposed to be for black yeah. people.
1: Yeah.
6: Am I black?
1: Yeah.
6: Or have I been de-whitened, de-racialized? And therefore, the wreckage of the drug addict, the white drug addict, the white poor, the white homeless person, that wreckage is the beginning of their salvation. Yeah. Yeah. And thus. <coughs> You know, it, it is, yeah. and that's yeah. fault. oh, go, go ahead Danny,
3: let me, let me tell you Couldn't resist no more.
6: <laughs> yeah, for me,
3: the product of a single mother, you mm-hmm. know, constantly abused, humiliated, bullied. So for me, when I'm 14, 15, and I learn about Palestine
1: mm-hmm. from the
3: jump, you know, of course I, I relate to Palestine, because that's the underdog within me.
1: Mm-hmm. And for
3: me, Palestine is uh, Muhammad Ali, and <laughs> MLA and Asada and everyone who ever had to resist and had been humiliated and bullied and shaken down by the police. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's been a huge existential crisis for me these past 62 days. And uh, thank God I'm sober, okay. you know, it's a good thank day God to be watch. sober. So, you know, I was research who controls this pornography industry very connected to Zionism. That's no coincidence. That's no spiritual coincidence. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I never said this in my life because I come out of school of dialectical materials, (laughs) but I'm a man of conviction, I'm a man of God. Mm -hmm. If I have to stand alone and miss my own cousins and aunts and uncles, because they can't see the humanity of indigenous people, I'm going to go down swinging all by myself. Yeah. You know, I've never felt, of course, I've always felt this alienation through and through. But uh, like in 12-step recovery, yeah. all these fellows talking about spirituality, as they extinguish mm-hmm. a people under our noses, you have the audacity to talk about spirit. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And that's the price of whiteness. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Never, never related to. That. To, to, to white, what, what, what is that? Such a hollow, mm-hmm. that arrogance, those, those fraternity dudes. They picked on me. Now, mm-hmm. it was tough to pick on me. I'm 6'6", 250 pounds, <laughs> <laughs> but they mocked me. They mocked me. In high school, they mocked me, calling me Malcolm. Is it I was supposed to be insulted by
1: that? <laughs> That's
3: you know, Malcolm's the, the prince of all, the underdog. <laughs> And they mocked me, calling me "wigger" and "wannabe." They made up words and poor white trash. And well, they were right sociologically about that one. And when I discovered John Brown, and, and I discovered the Palestinians and the Dominican revolutionaries, and uh, so coming here, I, you know, I feel at home. I feel at home. You know, I, I, I'm a survivor of the left. I would love to just say a product. I'm a survivor. of the left. I was in the CPUSA twice. <laughs> Before I could figure it out, I was kicked out.
9: kicked out. No explanation, every back turned on me. For what?
3: So the, the narrow, I'm still trying to figure it out with, with decades in between the functions And I'll say it publicly. Wow. So that's a camera, don't it's up in the Baldwin or something, <laughs> look over here. The modern technology, so I, I thank the brother Tony. You know, I, we need this type of mentorship. You know, uh, I'm in the right place. I'm in
1: the right place.
6: But so they kicked you out of the comments. <laughs> <laughs> Save that for
9: 2002. <laughs> and they weren't the only ones. Go <laughs> ahead,
10: Go ahead. Are you named after
6: Millie Baraka?
5: Yeah, my mom actually went to um, college with his daughter. Actually, okay,
6: so,
5: oh, okay. But um, at Johnson C. Smith HBCU in North Carolina. But I mean, I'm from Atlanta, obviously. So you know, I've seen only in my very short time, but I'm very young. I'm only 29.
1: Mm-hmm. I've
5: seen how, how how much has changed since King's time in Atlanta, which mm-hmm. completely predated you know my my entire life. Mm 494, but something from that speech that really, like, struck my core or struck a core with me, and you reminded me of it too when you were talking about that coffee shop and how enraged you were and, you know, balancing that rage and that peace Mm -hmm. was when King said, you know, you see me, but you don't see everything that I see. Mm -hmm. You see these buildings, but you don't know all the things that went into these buildings. You know, they talk about their dogs or drink their coffee or whatever Mm -hmm. it is people are doing Mm because of the propaganda, Mm -hmm. watching, you know entertainers and they're doing all these things to participate in this system. They don't know what it represents or what where it came from. They don't know where anything that they're enjoying in their lives came from. And it reminded me specifically of Baldwin because he literally his final book is The Evidence of Things Not Seen. Wow. In which he literally talks about the Atlanta child murders. And my mom grew up in the 70s as a little girl seeing her community change around her from what it was to now people are blaming each other and saying, we're murdering each other. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, the rise of hip hop and I'm still doing my own contradictions with that because I grew up in that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and seeing the rise of a new black church that is not the Church of King. Mm-hmm. And and when you mention also, you know, you will go down fighting even if it's your whole family against you. I've seen, you know, I have, I like to say I have eight thousand people. I told Emily this last night. Eight thousand in Georgia uh, that I know, and I'm related to half of them. <laughs> and, and just seeing this this enormous black family coming up out of enslaved peoples, coming up out of the country, coming up out of the soil and the roots of of the earth, go on to aspire to, and many of them succeed in becoming completely devoid of you know, thousands and thousands of years of history and what is right and what is King talking about and what is Baldwin talking I not even know who Baldwin is, but, you know, my cousin, though, no, I love James Baldwin. They might have seen a documentary, you know, mm-hmm. and just trying to figure out, like, what is my place in all of this? Because I hang around, you know, black nationalists, and black radicals, and I was talking about being prepared for, you know, mm-hmm. civil war and things of that nature and trying to help them to see that, you know, we don't actually need anybody to die. Nobody has to die.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: You know, um, there's a, there's another way forward, and that's what the free school has meant for me. Um, as someone who grew up in that in that in, and watched that tradition become warped and disturbed, mm-hmm. my spirit watched my spirit become disturbed because of these things, and then I had to rediscover myself.
1: Mm-hmm. You
5: know, through ball and through King and through folks like y'all who are a part of the global people. And that's the other thing about that speech. Mm-hmm. He was talking about. You know you mentioned cosmic companionship he was mm-hmm. talking about he was talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and mm-hmm. he was talking about mm-hmm. science now I, I was a bio major like i was studying life <laughs> or whatever um and you know i was studying science and chemistry and physics and all these but like all those things were the
1: of things not seen like that mm-hmm.
5: entire academy all the propaganda i was fed at that place and being here uh, was the evidence of things not seen, right. you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and Ball has a line in, in, in evidence of things not seen where he says all of these murders if you don't know, a bunch of black children were murdered in the mm-hmm. 70s in Atlanta, and my mom was witnessing her safe neighborhood where everybody was looking like, out for each other turn into, you know, fuck everybody, I'm just trying to stay alive and get money, you know, and I watched that happening across generations of my own family. But he says, all of those children, even if we don't know where their bodies are, we don't know who killed mm-hmm. them, we don't know if it was this Black man who they blamed mm-hmm. it. Yeah. You know, there's not just the responsibility of the Black mislegal class of Atlanta. Baldwin said it's the responsibility of all people all over the world to find mm-hmm. out what happened to these children.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Even though, of course, most people all over the world don't even know about these murdered Black children in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. The bottom line, is there's something spiritual that they might never have heard of or read about, that they can connect to. And that's what I think Palestine is doing for yeah. the world in some ways. It's a tragedy, it's, it's catastrophic, but it's something spiritual that people are able to connect to. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in the hood every day, mm-hmm. organizing and whatnot, and talking to working class black folks and bringing them into the struggle. And they bringing me into the struggle, and I'm learning from them and getting wisdom from them. And when I talk to them, you know, they, like I, they know that what's going on in Palestine is connected to what has mm-hmm. happened to them, yeah. right? Um, they know that war anywhere is a is a threat to the well being of mm-hmm. anyone, you know. Um, so mm-hmm.
1: um, that's just my
8: piece on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, what I've been thinking about for like, the past like two weeks, ahead, because um, I think the free school has evolved a lot, and. I always kind of get nervous to say something, because I feel like um, we are dealing with matters that are serious, which is why I even came to free school. But, um, but the times, or the nature of the times, are, and you know, this is another question. Do they parallel with free school? How much does free school so <coughs> much live amongst mm-hmm. develop uh, the people that we know? Or is it now just because we have a Facebook live stream that many people throughout the country can watch us? Mm-hmm. Or is it that, you know, you know that word of mouth talking about even ideas like came, like even if it's uttered, like you're just saying there, Ago, will that still be, oh God, you know, for any reason whatsoever, kind of hurt? Well, you know, it can hurt, you know. Um, and I think what you're saying, doc, about this precipice mm-hmm. is, um, also saying that the American people, if you want to think about it like that, or any of us, you know, have this task at what you're saying, Doc, in remembering King. Like, that's part, because we are people of the book. That is the nature of the American people. If we are people of the book, then there is such a thing as, Developing, meaning, mm-hmm. creating um, mm-hmm. civilization. Mm-hmm. What that also means is that the in, the inner the inner voice that makes me you know, is God. Like I mm-hmm. know that, and I feel like that the religion is a question solely of mm-hmm. knowing history mm-hmm. more than it is knowing a uh, way specifically um of life because i think that there's something that happened with mm-hmm. islam where mm-hmm. they knew or they know that a lot is them like it's in them yes but something was also happening within black christianity because mm-hmm. of, of the development of america and because of the of, because of the slave, mm-hmm. um, who also knew that God was them. Mm-hmm. And that also meant that King emerged with this articulation of the old civilization, the Greek, the Romans, mm-hmm. the, you know, Asia, mm-hmm. into this new world with Africa, and was able to understand specifically what America was also able to make for the future like the future coming century of the 20th century. So what that also means is that or at least to me it feels like um, it feels like it's not like what you said, doc, how do you love somebody who is to hurt you? like how do you defend because the question is not about defense. You know, because Israel is like, oh, we need to defend ourselves from Hamas. Well, it's not about defense. You want want to destroy a civilization. But it's not about defense. What was so offensive against white supremacy and a rule of order that you have felt the need to destroy a whole people? And similarly to that, it means the quality of the whole people. What is the quality? What is What are the makings of the qualities of the whole people? And see, the Saturday Free School for Philosophy and Black Liberation isn't an organization for the purpose of, you know, like it, it it is in the fabric. It is the fabric, it is mm-hmm. to understand the fabric mm-hmm. um of the quality of the historical moment and its responsibility or the responsibility that we have to it. Mm-hmm. And so can the free school be in every location, like throughout mm-hmm. the cities mm-hmm. of America? Mm-hmm. Can the free school be well so if there is this understanding that God is in you. And there's this understanding of a concrete truth. Like the truth is the concrete. It's not just an abstract idea, which also means that what is true is what you live by. Mm -hmm. And what you live by is also how you then will be who you are supposed to be, which is also part of what King was saying. Like Mm -hmm. there is the person that you are supposed to become. Yeah, there is an inability there's something that Mm -hmm. blocks there's something that a person is scared of Mm -hmm. and unable to become what you are supposed to be Mm -hmm. as god on earth like Mm -hmm. to make heaven and earth like Mm -hmm. you know that Mm -hmm. that whole Mm -hmm. and what that then means is that what is the thing what is the thing that a person is not what is the thing that a person is not yet able to achieve is also the struggle to become mm-hmm. wow. like it's also a part of the struggle of the country to become what mm-hmm. it's supposed to be whether it be a democracy mm-hmm. um, or because what a democracy means is you know to be able to coexist to develop a society um, to the to develop in a society in a state is one thing
1: mm-hmm.
8: um which is also like you see examples of the children in gaza because yes. when you look at the children in gaza you think who raised these children mm-hmm. that's an example mm-hmm. of the society mm-hmm. the nature of the state is the apparatus that the, that is it, that the people are an organized the people can be organized within mm-hmm. in the hospitals schools, mm-hmm. whatever so then the nature of the state is developed by who raised the children, or what the children would then become? What is the nature of the operations of institutions and apparatus that society then functions and creates culture uh, and civilization? But then, so the thing about a democracy is this internal, this internalized democracy, which also comes to question the the uh, the way a person is to operate in their country, in their state, in their city, in their street, uh-huh. and thus how they relate to the world because that's all linked up with one another. And so when King is speaking to the getting or traveling the Jericho Road to the third dimension,
7: wow.
8: it also means that in order to actualize oneself like the the, what you're saying that like that link between oneself and the Mm -hmm. um empire of eternity Mm -hmm. oneself and heaven Mm -hmm. oneself and god Mm -hmm. like to connect oneself to is also is also to make real what is said in the in the books if we're people of the books and the books are are Mm -hmm. you know part of us not real and thus we can um we can, we are still that same quality. I feel like we give a certain quality yes. to the survival or yes. like to yes. texts that are held
3: above and not.
8: But like, I always saw, like, you know, for some reason, I always saw that it was very important to study complicated and maybe profound
7: things. Yes.
8: For the sake of it yes. proving to myself Wow. Which is then because I need to prove it to the white world like I am found, I am yeah, that is, language right? Language.
7: Right.
8: Yeah. <laughs> It is to say that no, I'm the forebearer of civilization. Mm-hmm. And I also decide, well, how, how do we use the English language? How do we use the written language? Mm-hmm. What is the uses of math and science? And mm-hmm. what are the questions of philosophy that need to be answered in mm-hmm. order to enter an ethical humanity? The table when we're dealing with um, the Saturday Free School and dealing with how will a people overcome or break through um, that kind of uh, second wall into the third wall and <laughs> actualize, you know, real democracy. But see, but see, so we say we need to know King, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't know him, or he's not part of
2: us, mm-hmm.
8: but it's that, there's something that we're not yet sure we can trust. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, we can't trust ourselves. Like, that's weird, but we should be able to. Mm-hmm. The thing, uh, the, so we'll talk about it when we get to Jeremiah because I'm, <laughs> I'm also interested in why people of the ruling elite will. Um. Will, are afraid of the people's dictatorship when we <laughs> talked about it in the school so long of a dictatorship of the proletariat and specifically located the nature of the black proletariat. Uh-huh. Um, but I think that, I think that, see, because the thing that's interesting to me about the evolution. Saturday preschool. and where we're at now is because now I think we're finally mm-hmm. able to, or now what I mean by now is that all of us mm-hmm. like in the world are at the table
1: mm-hmm.
8: uh, and you know as much as I've been in now all of a sudden and trenched on Social media from these Palestinian from the Palestinian mm-hmm. people. I know, and I know for certain now that in my mind they all need to know that we need to mm-hmm. involve like really, really exist because for, for the answer for the answer for their question of why is this happening to us? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. or I know that we still have Allah but then the the sentence is still yet not finished.
7: Yeah.
8: And I know actually further stated that people of God are capable of making real
1: mm-hmm.
8: the conditions of their state and um, thus the condition of their state to the world. And, and but the problem would be is if, and that's the same problem for this country, is if we can make the conditions of democracy real for to demilitarize, denotify, or to what you're saying, take the borders and Palestine back to 1967. That requires political, ideological education. Mm-hmm. Um, that requires a level of this emotional uh, synthesis of you know, and a uh, real articulation on the world stage of. Um, of like real peace. Because I think when I just said that, I thought of how the U.S. had uh, decided to veto the Article 99. And because when you're saying that, because you're talking about the political realignment, what a realignment also supposes for me is a reassessment, a re um, a under a, a better understanding, or to make clearer what the articles of whatever, or like you know, what do we mean by coexistence? What do we mean by peace? Because mm-hmm. what that also requires is that the UN has to define the nature mm-hmm. of the imperialist powers and the development of the imperialist powers and how they have been tied up with the military buildup and and this is like this is like what i'm what i'm think i'm referring to is the nature of the partnership or the embeddedness of making war for profit and if so on the world scale is there does it have to be a a a, a um taking away, this great like taking away mm-hmm. of the um, mm-hmm. the nature of war,
1: mm-hmm.
8: you know, mm-hmm. that has become so embedded in the United States and
7: yeah.
8: <laughs> Israel mm-hmm. and because how is it still acceptable mm-hmm. and how is it that it still is able mm-hmm. to produce? Mm-hmm. So that's what I also mean by this moment of being at the table in the in the world where they also need Baldwin and Du Bois because we are basically saying that everything is in a great panic from the ruling class because everything needs to be changed in order for us to move forward and actualize a democracy, actualize peace on the planet uh, and actualize real human coexistence. Because when he's saying cosmic, like you're saying, the sun, the stars, mm-hmm. there is that nature of the specificity, the scientific, mm-hmm. thorough, reteaching of what that means. Maybe it's more natural to children because they know, mm-hmm. or maybe it's more natural to, you know, like to people because there is an emotional, mm-hmm. there's an emotional quality of being a part of the yes. planet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is also something that needs to be better understood in order for us to, and what that, what I'm saying is that we, like you had mentioned, maybe it was two weeks ago, not last week, but the sheep is uncovered. Mm -hmm. The ring class is in desperation. Mm -hmm. Um, And we know how they act. Mm -hmm. And that's also why this moment is so different
1: than mm-hmm. what it once
8: was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why people have such decision, which the free school has always mm-hmm. been a part of, trying mm-hmm. to clarify and develop and think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you. Right. We're
6: gonna to- go over to you, Jerry. Uh, I'm going to talk about the article by Robert
1: Kagan.
4: Yeah, yeah, I'll try to, I guess, be to the point. And um, also, I feel like we've already been talking about this article to an extent, and so this is just kind of another, in some ways, just another dimension of what we're already talking about today. but yeah, so Robert Kagan published an article in the Washington Post a few days ago called, um, there's like multiple titles to it, so it's kind of, <laughs> of confusing, but the the title is A Trump Dictatorship is Increasingly Inevitable, We Should Stop Pretending. And um, Robert Kagan, if, yeah, um, increasingly inevitable, so we should stop pretending. And we should stop pretending. And should stop <laughs> Kagan is, as people may know, the co-founder of, first of all, the project for a new American century, along with Bill Crystal, which was essentially announcing um, you could interpret it as the 100-year reign of US hegemony after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So this was kind of in the 90s when they're trying to be the architects of this 100-year reign of the United States. Um, and like after the Cold War, and he is one of the chief architects and theorists of the neoconservative movement and the ruling class, and has served as an advisor to both the Republican and Democratic Party administrations over the past couple decades. Um, he actually left the Republican Party in 2016 and endorsed Hillary Clinton, over Trump, which was a big move. Um, and so. Basically how I interpret like why we're ta- like why we're talking about this article is that you have to see Robert Kagan as a major voice of the ruling class. And what we are doing in the free school is both studying the American people but also studying the ruling elite in this time and how they think and how they're responding to the crisis. And I think Trump in that regard also has to be thought about and discussed and understood because he represents, he like almost in this like very crystallized form represents the crisis of American politics and the U.S. society mm-hmm. and thus um, also represents a, a significant portion of the American people. And so we can't ignore him and we also have to understand how the ruling class views Trump and thus that part of the American people. Um, and so what Kagan basically says in the article is that um different factions of the ruling class have been for the past several months living in a delusion that trump will somehow not be the republican candidate in the 2024 election whereas the truth is like the the naked truth is that trump leads his nearest competitor in the republican uh, party by 47 points and leads the rest of the field combined by 27 points Mm -hmm. so like it's pretty clear that Trump will be the nominee and basically everyone recognizes this and the debates they've been holding with all of these kind of second second place candidates is kind of seen as a a sideshow where Trump Mm -hmm. knows basically was like, I don't need to be part of these debates because we know it's going to be me. And um, in addition to that, Trump has strong odds to win the general election against Biden, Mm -hmm. which Kagan talks about because in part, the Democratic Party coalition itself is falling apart, mm-hmm. um, especially with Israel's general war against the people of Palestine. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kagan says this basically that Biden has helped to instigate two world scale wars in Russia, Ukraine, as well as Israel and Gaza. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Trump, who is famously coming under all of these kind of legal attacks um, over the past several months and leading up to 2024, somehow defies the laws of kind of normal political gravity um, where Kagan says, quote, Trump will not be contained by the courts or by the law. On the contrary, he is going to use these trials to display his power. That's what he wants them televised. Trump's power comes from his following and not from the institutions of the American government. And his devoted followers love him precisely because he crosses lines and ignores the old boundaries they feel empowered by it and that in turn empowers him and so if trump wins this is so this is kagan speaking um trump if trump wins he could become quote a dictator mm-hmm. and what that actually means in concrete terms is that trump will go after first of all specific officials who targeted him with russia aid, with the january sixth probe which is ongoing and all of this other stuff people who he feels that betrayed him as well um and people also who got him into some of the the conflicts uh, during his own presidency. Um, But more importantly, um, Trump is going to bring in a cabinet that is basically designed to do one thing, which is to completely flush out the permanent bureaucracy of Washington. And Kagan says, he kind of, in a very ironic way, says that this is kind of a quote, new McCarthyism, which is like very, I don't know, it's just kind of funny because it's like, (laughs) someone who basically represents, yeah, this voice of anti-communism of the ruling class. Like, oh, no, this is <laughs> And so, Tagan is not optimistic about converting this situation. And he makes a very crucial point for an admission that the American people will not leap to defend the deep state or the ruling elite who are going to be targeted by Trump. And he says, quote, Indeed, who will will stand up for anyone accused in the public arena besides their own lawyers? In a Trump presidency, the courage it will take to stand up for them, meaning these kind of ruling class uh, officials, the courage to take to stand up for them will be no less than the courage it will take to stand up to Trump himself. How many will risk their own careers to defend others? In a nation congenitally suspicious of the government, who will stick up for the rights of former officials to become targets of Trump's Justice Department? Basically, saying, oh no, who's going to stand up for these ruling classes? <laughs> <laughs> Even if you don't like Trump, no one is going to stand up, stand up for Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Even a lot of these young people <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, basically, the only real uh, possible response that Kagan sees is for states like New York or California, kind of like solidly blue states. To refuse to recognize the authority of this quote tyrannical federal government. And so this is basically basically calling for civil war. He's saying that the states that are democratic must nullify the authority of the federal government. And this is almost like saying these blue states must um, call for a secession. Mm-hmm. And so Kagan also kind of chastises the establishment of the Republican Party as well as all of the voters who um, voted for Trump. And he says that when they could have taken quote, extraordinary action to defeat Trump in the past. And he basically says, it's the voters fault that we're that we will be entering this dictatorship. And so what he's what he's basically arguing for, um, when he's not being able to cynical is to say that um, whatever is left of the ruling class must take for extraordinary action against Trump. And so that means that they're not going to rule out taking flagrantly anti-constitutional measures to ensure to ensure Trump then takes office and so I basically that's like my summary of but um before I guess getting into like the discussion of what it actually means I want to talk about like different assumptions that kind of structure the way that people will respond to something like this and which are different ways of also seeing Trump which is that basically on the left or what's left of the left um Trump is seen as either just a regular part of the ruling class or as one faction of a split in the ruling class and so what that leads to is basically most most of the left agreeing with Kagan actually that Trump is a kind of fascist dictator in waiting and but the problem is is that how do you explain this phenomenon in which someone like Kagan who is much more like a true representative of the ruling class sees trump as almost a completely foreign entity to themselves is it because these ruling class figures are so concerned about preserving democracy or is it because of something else and so another view that i think we in free school take um, is that trump is not hitler it is in fact biden who is openly backing the zionist nazis in israel and the neo-nazis in ukraine trump is also not just a mere head of a faction of the ruling elite. He is, in actuality, I think our assessment is that he is the voice and also the hammer of a popular movement that remains highly active and motivated and is, in fact, unprecedented in American history. And so whatever the contradictions, the target and aims, and objective of this movement is clear. They want to bring a wrecking ball against all of the major institutions of the American state. And so Trump, in that sense, is their instrument for weakening mm-hmm. the ruling class. And so Trump and his movement, in that sense, interestingly don't. It is unclear if they have a real antecedent yeah. in American history because you can't really equate the Trump movement with, the, let's say, the Civil Rights Movement, which is not to put a knock on the Trump. But you know, it's like we're dealing with new political phenomena. And so this is basically my like interpretation of what all this means. That if you recognize Kate, Robert Kagan as a real, genuine voice of the ruling class, what he's doing in this article is first. He's waving this kind of like white flag of concession and basically saying, like, Oh, like we've been lying to ourselves this whole time. Like, there's a real phenomenon happening amongst the American people who we are now having to contend with. Whereas, for basically the past few decades, we've written off to the American people and said mm-hmm. they will do whatever we want, they will sign on to all of these wars that we send across the world. Um, and so, but the other side of it is that Kagan is basically raising a warning call to various sections of the elite to like get your shit together, right? <laughs> and he, yeah, basically in this article recognizing and saying that the American people no longer accept the rule of the ruling class. And this is why he is at turns almost hysterical, despondent, kind of angry, all that stuff. Like why he has that kind of schizophrenic yeah. personality that you described. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what Kagan is also responding to and admitting is that the, the US ruling elite face a new kind of quality, a new kind of rebellion at home, but also on the world stage a complete rejection of U.S. hegemony and its instruments in terms of Zionism um, on the world stage and so it's a disaster on two fronts. Mm-hmm. And so the kind of Kagan, the kind of democracy that Kagan is trying to defend is obviously not real democracy and so what is Trump attacking which is like what is he attacking other than basically the unmitigated, unchallenged rule of people like Robert Kagan who have pushed America into more wars and into more, quote unquote, liberal interventions that, than we can count. Um, and so what Kagan is defending is ultimately, and we've said this in school many times, but Kagan is defending essentially the dictatorship of the ruling class of an imperial state. Mm-hmm. And so will Trump be a dictator? What will Trump actually do with the power if he kind of wins the election and, I don't think that any of us in the free school or are idealists or have illusions about Trump Mm -hmm. Um, and Trump obviously not only has flaws, but he has contradictions, Mm -hmm. but we have to consider what actually happened after the 2016 election. Trump, despite all of the messages that especially young people received after 2016, we were told that basically Trump was going to install a dictatorship Mm -hmm. in America, that he was going to, first of all, like kick all these immigrants out, like all this stuff. And we felt very kind of like existentially threatened by it, Mm -hmm. Um, but he did not install that dictatorship and above all of the hype, basically that and all the noise that surrounded Trump, the crucial important thing that Trump has done over these past years is to basically basically branch open a new space in American life and American politics for a different kind of democratic expression to emerge directly Mm -hmm. from the American people through Trump, disaffected Americans whose lives have been destroyed by wars and deindustrialization could actually challenge the ruling elite to their faces. And they could speak openly on topics that have been forbidden, I think, Mm. as being like, oh, like, you're not allowed to talk about these questions of war. You're not allowed to talk about these questions of basically the legitimacy of the ruling class. And so over the next, I'm going to basically end by saying that over the next few years and beyond, I think that we are going to see phenomena that we haven't yet seen before in American politics mm-hmm. and history. If Trump wins, there will be, I think, a political, though not physical, bloodbath in Washington. Mm-hmm. And we don't fully yet know how the ruling class will react to this mm-hmm. or what Trump or what Trump will try to implement in the place of the deep state that he is trying to destroy. And also, I want to just comment and say that the movement for Palestinian freedom and for a ceasefire is moving toward a greater strategy of mass civil disobedience as we said last week, to paralyze the normal functioning of the state. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, the Trump movement is almost acting in parallel to this movement. And the question is, can they come together? Can we find a common ground? And so we, as in the free school, but also I think anyone who sees themselves as a missionary, you can't act as if you're removed from this objective social and also world historic process. Mm -hmm. We have to engage with it. Mm -hmm. We have to seek broader and more decisive breakthroughs I think in every aspect and every arena of social life in this country and in cities like Philadelphia and to try to create spaces where people can come together and think and speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. And essentially what I feel like we are trying to do in the free school as part of this development is to try to bring out and deepen the democratic capacity of ordinary people. Um, and I think kind of the way that we've been talking about it today, also is, for all people including those in the Trump movement to be released essentially from whiteness or how like you're yeah. understanding whiteness but also yeah. to rediscover who we are as the children Martin Luther King because mm-hmm. when you rediscover that that's also the American people rediscovering themselves as basically mm-hmm. revolutionary mm-hmm. agents of history mm-hmm. and um, yeah that's that's kind of my, my summary of the part. <laughs>
1: Oh, no. Um, yeah, uh, no,
0: it's okay, I can go ahead. Well, um, like actually, when you were talking about this, I was thinking a lot about this question of, you know, the functioning of the state and in uh, um, also in terms of, you know, the question of, of occupation and Palestine. And, you know, this is because, like, the, the question of the realignment of the state in America is, you know, it's um, it has deep ramifications over the world and uh, like you know, especially uh I mean, especially in uh, like you know in light of how the ruling elite is reacting, and you know they like they have basically accepted the fact that they can't change what's going to happen or at least are not admitting it and you know this is related to i think this is uh like you know this is related to to how I think Serafina was talking about right before with the question of self-determination mm-hmm. and I was thinking of you know the like the poet the uh, um I um, mean the Palestinian poet who was killed. He like and he used to teach literature. He used to mm-hmm. teach English literature, but he was uh, um he would also teach the Palestinian children. About, uh, I mean he would teach Palestinian children about Israeli poetry also, mm-hmm. and you know sort of, and he would talk about the like you know the need for like you know he identified like Baldwin and like we're trying to do. He identified that the the evils of, of occupation is that it robs you of your ability to, to see humanity as a whole wow. and, and, you know, this comes through Baldwin all the time. And, mm-hmm. and I think like in, um, in terms of like, you know, the moment we find ourselves in today the, the question of the realignment of the ruling class, mm-hmm. um, it can no longer evade this question. This, like, this is the question that has been evaded for, you know, decades since, um uh, well, I guess since the end of the second world war, but it seems that, you know, the world is coming to a place where, um, these are questions you can't run away from anymore. And the Trump, um, you know, on the possibilities of the Trump presidency, like it reflects the possibility that you know this, like these are the questions on the table, like we talk about that you know, this election is going to be fought on the question of war and peace, and you know not on the question of all of these, you know, cultural issues, which um, every four years there's a circle that goes around and round. But it seems that the American people are are at a point, like you know, i um, like what you were saying that that people can't run, that the ruling class can't run from this question anymore. Yeah. Uh, that, like, you know, we have been ignoring the American people forever. And this is a moment where you know, we can't run anymore. That's what they're saying. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was really beautiful. Oh,
2: no, I was going to say, actually, when I was reading this article, I was laughing. I, I was with Emily and I was just laughing throughout it because it's very hysterical, actually, in terms of um, the author and how he explains the political system and the people and how the people are responding because he also conflates different segments of american society whether it is you know the, the trump supporters or of the ruling elite or your average like bourgeois wealthier like, individual um and what's very striking is at the end he likens trump to, your, to a meteor that's going to strike but the way that he describes how people should <laughs> respond is that, you know, even if a meteor were to strike, we can't just give up. Basically the ruling class, I'm like, with, with everyday people, can't give up. We have to come out with pots and pens. <laughs> like that's actually the term. Actually the term. like pots and pens, like, even if it's a meteor, we're gonna have to try our best and go down, like go down swings. <laughs> <laughs> and so essentially it is conceding that Trump, um, is going to win and there's actually nothing that they can really do at this point that's actually uh going to turn the tide but i think he also is trying to still at a last um as a last dish effort to also um create uh fear amongst the people which is a meteor striking trump is coming we need to, like it's it's going to be a dictatorship and continue the sense of people have to fear one another rather than actually Trump represents something new that can occur amongst the American people. Actually, it's, it's different than what has happened in the past four years of Biden and that it presents a new opportunity. Um, and that's the, and one of the paradoxes in which he doesn't really he gets mixed up mm-hmm. is that or one he says that the people will elect trump and therefore you can't depend on the people mm-hmm. once trump is elected into office to uh preserve a democracy to oppose trump to push trump essentially to actually represent the people and their aspirations mm-hmm. because that's what we've been saying which is that trump isn't a Figure in of himself, but actually, the people are moving Trump towards actually, you know, not going to war, actually addressing the uh, issues of the people. But so, there's a contradiction where he's saying the people elect Trump, but then the people will not take down Trump, <laughs> and you can't depend on the people to eventually take down Trump. That's one piece that's that's super, uh, or that's contradictory, and then. What was the other piece? Uh, I'm
6: forgetting the (laughs) point. Is it that, you know, one, that the people, one thing, I guess, is anxiousness Mm -hmm. is over the fact Mm -hmm. that there is not a mass movement. Against Trump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The mass movement is against Biden, yeah. which means the ruling class. And and therefore, everything, I think. If I, oh, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I, go, go,
1: go,
6: go. I
2: remember my point, which is he also admits in the beginning that Biden represents the system and yes. Trump represents going against the system. Yes. And then, but then later, it's it's he, I think essentially his analysis is the president or leading up to the elections and then post elections meaning leading up will get Trump afterwards, it's authoritarianism, mm-hmm. dictatorship, mm-hmm. so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's insane in that he admits that Biden represents Trump and Trump represents going against the or Biden represents the system and Trump represents going against the mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. But then later when Trump goes against essentially the swamp and draining the swamp and you know, clearing out the the system, he's saying, the people, why aren't they Why aren't they going to defend any of these people? <laughs> and that's, like, yeah, why would people, because the assumption, and that's where he essentially, he doesn't outrightly say it, but he's basically saying that the people are allowing this dictator to, to come into power, um, because he, the people are not going to support those in government that are being persecuted by Trump. Um, but it's very re- revealing and actually a comedic tragedy of the ruling class. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because as he's essentially uh, laying out the unraveling of the system, mm-hmm. there's so many comedic elements to mm-hmm. it—a mm-hmm. meteor striking, breaking <laughs> the end. And, yeah. Um, well, I also feel like it's comedic. It's a comedy of the um, left tragedy mm. left because like it goes back to what you said about the civil rights movement where people are like yeah but okay cool i can be down with black reconstruction because they did take power in the south mm-hmm. even though like you were like actually du bois never says that um the black proletariat took power of the state mm-hmm. it was du bois just saying it had the potential yeah, that's what he was to, to be mm-hmm. and so people are like well the civil rights movement how can it be revolutionary when um, they never took power in the state and actually elected more Democrats in the existing, whatever. But then which by the way, free school would say, but how do you know how well, let's examine how you're actually understanding the civil rights movement as a movement that was reaching a higher stage of struggle to create a nation that to create a nation a new nation, which is a new state and that King was actually taking an explicit stance against a ruling elite and against the state in saying that how any state that that commits um war, poverty, and racism is an undemocratic state. Yeah. Like and so what's interesting is that
1: mm-hmm.
2: what is what's interesting is the same it's the same people who call King a reformist and a moderate and whatever the people who say, well let's distinguish between the radical king <laughs> and the reformist king who will also say, well I don't know about like Trump movement or Trump supporters, like okay, cool. They say some good; they're anti-war, but like, are they really down? But that's the thing, because like, how can you not? Because at the end of the day, like you're saying, the ruling elite is identifying Biden is the state. Biden represents the undemocratic state, and that means Trump. And because they fear Trump, how can you not say that Trump represents like both of you are saying like an instrument of an yeah. instrument against the state.
6: And, and you know the other thing is, see, I, I pick up from um, from Kagan. He's saying he's 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 waving the white flag of surrender because he's he's saying we have neither crafted a narrative for this moment. Mm-hmm. We, the smart people at Harvard mm-hmm. and Yale and mm-hmm. think tanks, we have not crafted. A a plausible anti Trump narrative. Mm. That's one thing. The other thing that he is saying, and I think this is the deeper part can the ruling class defend itself? Mm. Because if it cannot win the people, it can't be defended. Mm -hmm. See, it's the ruling class is such a tiny part of the people. That they depend upon the very people that they hold in utter contempt Mm -hmm. to rescue them. Mm -hmm. But the people know you hold us in utter contempt. Mm -hmm. So why would we rescue you? Mm -hmm. And so it is existential. That's why you pick up with Kagan. You know, you know who Kagan is, by the way. You know who his wife is, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Victoria.
6: (laughs) 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 No, Victoria, uh, Victorian, <laughs> Victoria, <laughs> the one responsible who was at the, is
1: yeah,
6: the one that was responsible for the coup, the made on coup in Ukraine in 2014, and who has been at the uh, cheerleader for more military spending to go to uh, Ukraine. So I I just do not know. I wouldn't want to be Robert Kagan, (laughs) because I mean the guy, you're looking at at an existential crisis that could lead to your extinction, Mm -hmm. and that's why even in waving the white flag he says, well I'm the defender of democracy. You know, it is democracy that we're defending. And don't you idiots understand that if you don't have us and you have Trump, we all lose. Well,
4: part of the neocon thing is that they're so ideological like they really yeah, believe yes, yes, they completely. believe yes. that they actually deserve yeah. to like not just rule the united states but also rule the world absolutely mm-hmm. and they're the, then, they're the office of the yeah. world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's part of the tragedy of like like you guys are saying the tragedy but also the comedy of it is yeah. that he believes so fully like like why why are you why don't you defend me american people but it's yeah. like why are you so ungrateful like that's but that's why he hates the people so much because we can't understand like, why don't you appreciate us more. But can I
6: ask yeah. another question? See, but they're, they can easily go back to the first American Revolution. Uh-huh. We're upholding the values of the first American uh-huh. Revolution. But see, here's where the free school checkmates them What about the third, hometown? Uh-huh. Can you embrace the values of the third American Revolution and its concept of democracy? You get know what I'm saying? No, no, we 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 live in the first American revolution. This is what made us great. You
2: know? <laughs> no, Actually, the fact that he said that his wife is Victoria Nuland yeah. makes another point um, clarifying because of this concept of color revolutions around the world yes. with Ukraine, mm-hmm. but also the United States. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. one of the only defending forces that he says of the ruling class or with Trump, the only hope for the ruling class are these like states such as California New York new states or it's protests, like protests not of the sort of like of Palestine, mm-hmm. but of Black Lives Matter, of uh what else? Like the George
6: Floyd protest, like
2: that as being instruments or the so-called left that what is your question. Are you
6: saying mm-hmm. that the Black Lives Matter uh George Floyd demonstrations? Mm-hmm. Were well, more like a color revolution. Mm-hmm. Yes, Go, can he you explain? Admits, can
2: you... He admits this. Oh, he says, and, that? "Yeah, he admits it," or he doesn't ex- uh, explicitly say "say the Black Lives uh, Matter mm-hmm. movement," but he does say uprisings of the people, mm-hmm. um, or uprisings, or like I think so. The specific term he said.
6: Oh, that a very long article. <laughs>
2: oh, right here. Uh, uh, Okay. How will Americans respond to the first signs of a regime of political persecution? Will they rise up in outrage? Don't count on it. Those who found no reason to oppose Trump in the primaries and no reason to oppose him in the general are unlikely to experience a sudden awakening when some former <laughs> when some former Trump adjacent officials such as Millie, finds himself under investigation for goodness knows <laughs> what? They will only know the Justice Department prosecutors, the IRS. The FBI and several congressional committees are looking into it. Um,
7: Yeah. Well,
13: there's a part where he yeah. like okay. Well, it's interesting because he's sort of belauding how Trump is not like, I guess properly like, I guess he's like that he's the burning constitutionality and stuff like that but then he's saying oh the democrats maybe they can instead turn to illegitimate extra legal action <laughs> and then he's like oh in fact like america yeah. might take yeah. to the streets so yeah. people will engage in protest um, but then what and then he's saying like that trump might invoke the insurrection act and so i think he's basically i think robert kagan is sort of trying yeah i mean I think he's trying to say like oh maybe the people can like rise up and like and like heroically overthrow dictatorship just like they came out in 2020 Mm -hmm. but then you think like oh but Trump won't like respect that but actually it's something I didn't realize that Kagan was so into like Iraq like that was actually when I think he became really big and then he fell Mm -hmm. from grace. and so it's just very Mm -hmm. interesting because in that paragraph where he's describing how Americans might take to the streets, there was a sentence that really confused me. Where he said, "No less the defender of American democracy than George H. W. Bush invoked the Act to deal with the Los Angeles riot in
9: 1992." Yeah. And I thought you would think i No, he deleted it. Bush. This it's Bush. Bush. Not you know neither neither the left nor the right, mm-hmm. blue states or red right states. The really think is the deconstruction of the corporate state the corporate state controls the deep city so no matter who you vote for the corporate state that was still there that will be there the issue i think is as as citizens mm-hmm. we have to address the
6: limits of private cap yeah. mm-hmm. that's that's lost the last thing no 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 joe go back i think you're hitting on something because mm-hmm. i think and this is the unsaid dimension of Kagan. It is a question of the state, mm-hmm. and well, you could call it the corporate state. Yeah, let me not. Yeah, let me not. Uh, I would agree that it, I would agree with what you said, but I, let me hold off on that because I think the point that you raise is the question before the American people, whether it's mm-hmm. acknowledged or not and it is the question of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know what I'm saying? That
9: is the they have to limit the crime again.
6: Well, well, however, whatever, whatever the state does, however it performs, but the question is even a more central question, who controls the state? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. This might be the first time In Western history, Western democratic history since the Russian Revolution, Mm -hmm. that the state and state power has been on the table.
2: Yeah, right. Mm
6: -hmm. Would you agree? Yeah,
2: because if you think about it, what Kagan's saying is that there is no relationship, there's no longer any relationship between the people and the state. Mm -hmm. And what he's saying is
8: that
0: Trump,
2: it's like it doesn't matter. Whether Trump completely dismantles the corporate state or whatever, the really the question is with Trump in there's actually really there will be a relationship between yeah there'll be there's a relationship between Trump and the people and whatever
6: like well let me me just say this
3: oh oh go go ahead Dan I'm definitely following the whole dialectical argument but I wanted to pose a, a question how do we reconcile Trump's worth three point five billion. He's a political outsider, but he's the very essence of the mm-hmm. of, of of capitalism, of the of the slumlord, of the billionaire. He uh, promises that every Palestinian student who's in a Palestinian student club, the SJP's will be deported. Yeah. So the fascism is in your face. Yeah. So I understand the sociology. Mm-hmm. Of, of of the base of, of the quote-unquote deplorables I'm there because that's where I come from. The oxy electorate, the poor whites, whites, they surely still believe it, yes. the ones overdosing at the highest rates off fentanyl were voting at the highest rates for a billion.
6: Well, but isn't this, but this is part of the, of the unraveling of American history mm-hmm. or the, undoing of a ruling class that had become so arrogant that it could rule without billionaires. Mm. I mean, the ruling class doesn't need Trump to rule. Mm. It doesn't need Jay-Z or Mm. Beyonce to rule. Mm. It doesn't need uh, most billionaires. Mm. I think it is a different issue. We're talking about the and you're right. I agree with you. No, and and I agree with you. No one, is, least of all us, will throw ourselves down and say Trump is mm-hmm. will lead us to the promised land. <laughs> as Paul would call the New Jerusalem. Um, but objectively, uh, it's almost you find yourself in a situation. I don't, I don't think this is always the best way to put it. The enemy of my enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he says, out of nature, we're going to go out of nature, if he, you know what I'm saying? If he says, I'm going, you know, I hate the communists, the socialists, the fact <laughs> that are running the, the, the government, you know what I'm saying? And then says that Kim Jong-un, I love Kim Jong-un, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying
4: like so much so of, how much of it is performative yeah. cool. and how much do that's well i just also because i do think that part of what's so like interesting when even when you study periods like reconstruction and like the civil mm-hmm. rights movement is okay. that so much of american history has been decided by like improbabilities by things that yeah. were just, like unexpected mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. seems almost impossible Mm -hmm. And how ironic would it be if Trump, like this figure who basically represents in some ways, yeah, like American capitalism itself, like with like in pop culture too, (laughs) that he could become not like this revolutionary leader, but someone who acts in the interest of undoing, like literally like the American imperialist state and and it's not that like, we're again being like naive about anything, Mm -hmm. but it is a question of like, what has because also I think if Trump were basically like an ordinary billionaire or like an ordinary basically like ruling class, apparatus, whatever, he would not have basically stuck it out for this long because he has been coming under like constant attack. Basically Mm -hmm. since he's- He's also going to take all of his money. Yeah, yeah. and he he knows that like they literally could also-
6: this, but is it unusual? Mm. You know, he's not a a Bonapartist,
4: Mm.
6: like in Napoleon Bonaparte or, his successors. Oh, Louis Bonaparte. I'm Bonaparte for this period. I don't think he's like that. I, don't, I wouldn't call him a Bonapartist. I would call him an out-and-out populist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I can't totally just yeah, <laughs>
12: If I could uh, if I could support i like to support your argument. Uh, the way that I have helps me make a lot of sense of Trump is actually the way that I read uh, Lincoln in Black Reconstruction, where so Lincoln, you know, thought of the great president to save the union. He said or free the slaves. He said I was if, if I could save the union by keeping the slaves enslaved, mm-hmm. I will I would do that. If I can save the union by, by freeing the slaves, I'll I'll do that. What, what I interpreted and what Du Bois interpreted for me was that he was willing to respond to the will of the people to meet the needs uh, of the moment. Uh, I I think that Trump uh, doesn't have the grandest vision uh, that that's still on us. You know, we still we, we have all the skin in the game. Mm-hmm. yeah but Trump is willing to respond to uh what mm-hmm. what the people demand
1: mm-hmm. and and
12: the baseline a common denominator uh that has raised the i guess our our collective uh consciousness is the role of the state as, as the uh, the most oppressive force not just worldwide but of the American people mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> what what in, in responding and, and, and so yeah uh, i view them more of a blunt instrument hammer yeah. upon the ruling class but what the 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 positive thing that makes it possible of getting them out of the way is that in identifying this uh common enemy and and getting a better sense of our of our common future we can have a new remaking of our relationships uh that will it, it has to be based in everything that we've talked about, uh, love and humanity and, and civilization. And I, I think that's coming into fold with the, the, the uh, Palestinian people, identifying with the, uh, with the Palestinian people. And so this is not something that I put on Trump yet. You know, he, I don't think he, he has that grand vision, but uh, the American people can, can see this and want to uh, have a, ba- a basis of mm-hmm. uh, relating to themselves and the rest of the world. Uh, of their shared humanity. And so uh, I think Trump can be a vehicle for that and not the leader, but it's, it's the American people that will decide uh, history. And uh, so, yeah, I feel quite positive. Mm-hmm. Can I add something to that? Mm-hmm. Um, I love what you said
5: about um, ultimately people being the ones to make the final decision. It's never about one man or one person. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it all, it brings it back to what y'all discuss so often in preschool when it comes to the black proletariat imaginary yeah. mm-hmm. and what can be conceived of <laughs> when you're
7: <laughs>
5: when you're what can be what can be conceived of when you're born into a world that's so absurd you know mm-hmm. and true. and it, the entire existence of this country is absurd so mm-hmm. of course someone like Trump <laughs> so for me even just the fact that all of us are in this room together someone could argue is absurd, you know, or the fact that I'm so passionate about learning other languages and studying things that I didn't have any reason to study Mm -hmm. could be considered absurd. And the fact that the Trump supporters when slash if slash when he is elected, Mm -hmm. the work that we're doing in this room and that many others are doing is towards the goal of helping them to see that, you know, you don't have to participate in this project anymore you already are fighting against it, you're already resisting it. So I just feel like it's going to be a lifelong struggle. Revolution is lifelong, you know, mm-hmm. it's a lifelong struggle. And it's going to be a struggle of ideas and helping, helping people to see that it was never about Trump in the first place. It was always about, you know, for me, I'm like, can we imagine the possibility of people just all over from all over the entire country saying, I'm not going to go to work anymore? i'm not gonna buy these things anymore i'm not gonna do any of this anymore instead what i'm gonna do is try to look out for people around me and grow food and call for peace and resist nonviolently. can we imagine like millions of people doing that i personally can i think it's possible and i think that the trump supporters even though they might be happy when he's elected they'll quickly realize oh there's another stage yes. there's another stage like there's something else that we have to do now yes. he's in office but my life hasn't gotten better why mm-hmm. because i need to actually join forces with all the people who said that i was a villain who said that i was a deplorable and we as people who have been well not us but those who've been led you know fed propaganda to believe that we can't ever join forces with trump supports we can't ever join forces with white people we can't ever join forces People who we've been fed propaganda to believe have no, you know, are not invested in the same things as us. That like 2024 and beyond is the moment where, you know, you you're gonna have to do deal with some very difficult and maybe seemingly
6: impossible tasks and some mature judgments. Mm-hmm. You can't be a child about this, right. and they're all over YouTube. You know, childish chatter. Mm. But no, it's excuse me. Let me let, me, let, me, let, me let uh Derek. Come so it's kind of hard to um to
10: um it's kind of hard. If I grew up and I I know people that's bandits, I I know people that are bandits, or people that are I would call like an outlaw. But but, but it's something about my honor in the neighborhood. I could be with all the outlaws, but it's still something principle that I could call you and you could call me still. If somebody needed my help or something like that, but we kind of like we could be thick as we could be thick as thieves sometimes. Yeah. But I don't have to steal from your family, you know, like that. But so, so in some kind of way, when Trump is speaking to the people in the hood or people like from my neighborhood, and 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 I'm listening to them like that, and and um I. I was in a gang, but I was like a warlord. I was a young one, yeah. but something, it's something I was a warlord, so so you can <laughs> you can't take the title. It's just something that I would be up in, I would be up in different people neighborhoods. And I could I roll to another person they may figure. All we red line. These are all different white neighborhoods. But I'm trying to say sometimes I gotta still be able to reach people from all these sides that they say you can't talk to them people up there. You, you know I could be a Penn State up there on Penn State campus, man campus for like two weeks, almost a month. Hit up, hit out like by by the girls' dormitory people, like the girls in the dorm. Anybody want to stop there? Sometimes Trump got to come to people that that y'all you know, could go to his casino. You know I I know been a gambler, gambler, but but I, but you can see him in every boxing match if he was rolling back the films like me and Tony. Why he walking in the ring anyway? He's willing to be in the ring with a lot of people too, you know what I'm saying. But 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 I'm not gonna bet everything that I got in my hand on him. Like yo, you you, know, you might you might change up, but sometimes from being from a from another corner, don't mean I don't respect. Him. Mm-hmm. I, I can still I can still understand where you come from. You could be from Chicago, Blackstone Rangers. Or you could be up in the, um, you know from New York. It was different people that was that I that I saw and knew. But we need to still find we had to have somebody to bring something about their loyalty, even if they even if they suspected by the by the by the, by the whole government, yeah, I suspect them the same way you did. You, you walk with y'all. You suspect me. If I was carrying my flu on the wrong side of my shoulder, I might have got pulled over a hundred times. But since but since but since sometimes you're we can know this man by something now he is. Yeah. But if, if, if we was in Mexico, and it was Diva it was one of those people that we was taught not to respect anybody from Mexico. All right. Mexicans, all Mexicans right. leave news and many from Mexico. Most of them identify as bandits. Right. Like they're bandits. They can't be accepted well, as a speech now, person. Excuse me, I hate yeah. to
6: interrupt you, but we want to uh, go, on, go into the Palestinian writers' okay. Conference on the brother that was killed. There's a uh, so
2: how would we do it anyway? Well, it means that we have to end the live stream. Um, we're going to end the live stream and then um, try to join the Zoom. But I don't know if they can reach it. Have they? Have they still oh, I just sent you the Facebook live stream. Yeah. Oh, but if it, the Zoom I think we should probably join the Zoom. Okay. the um, i
13: think
2: you can probably okay so i'll end the live stream i apologize to all the commenters who so did not read um but it's because our commenters some of our commenters are a person <laughs> <laughs> uh, um we going to end the stream but we'll see everyone next week
7: yeah um, the ending. Bye. Bye. Bye.